Way I man, and welcome to the Rolling Wall, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast, which is here to deliver sad news again of yet another thumping up north. I hate the North, Elliot, don't you? I prefer our, our Midlands and Southern-based fixtures a lot more now. Does this mean we're soft Southerners? Well, this means we just don't like anything north of <laughs> Loughborough, which yeah. is good for the Premier 15s next year. Is it, well, satire. Well, yeah, well, I went. To, very, very good point. Uh, but I went to the, uh, I went to university in Southampton, and uh, everyone there felt anything north of Watford was north. <laughs> of course, uh, they did. Of course, they did. So that, so basically, they think Leicester is north. But I mean, like proper north, going up to Sale and to Newcastle, has not treated us well over the last couple of weeks. So we'll be getting into that, and we will also be joined by our old friend Sam Shazam Harrison who's joined us all the way over from uh, Australia to go and talk about what it's like when you have a couple of heavy defeats, what it's like when a coach leaves halfway through the season and you've got a few grumpy fans making some rumblings on social media. Anyway, mate, r- result aside, how was your weekend? It was right, to be fair. It was very quiet, which is nice. Nice to be very chilled out. Um, watched a lot of rugby, which was good for the games that Leicester weren't involved in. And then we sort of stunk the place out for our game. Um, but it was it was good, thanks, mate. How was yours? Oh, really exciting. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, cleared out the garden because basically ah. we've got a tree that just sort of shits its leaves all over the garden every single year. And this year I thought I got away with it because like, I got to Christmas and nothing had happened. And then I came back from visiting home in Leicester. And it's, it's basically sort of ankle deep full of leaves. So be clearing out that. So that is sort of my descent to middle age. I think I had two beers over the course of the weekend, which is which is very sad for me. And apart from that, yeah, like you just got thoroughly miserable watching the, the rugby. But we say we do have things to look forward to. We've got some news. We've got a little bit of good news to sort of silver cloud, the thunderous dark cloud that's emerged over the club uh, over the last couple of weeks. We've also got a preview. Uh, <laughs> oh, nice easy trip to France to play club on away from home in the European Cup. And we're going to start to get stuck in to putting together the ultimate professional era 15, um, having had a lot of fun pitching off the homegrown heroes against uh, the imports and having to, oh my God, Elliot, having to tweet every two minutes to say, it's pro-era, homegrown means Great Britain, not from overseas. Oh my God, you're denying history. That was my favourite tweet of all of it, is you're denying history or you don't know your history. Yeah. And you just go, come on now. Uh, yeah, we also had some... Uh, Gloucester fan compiling in, or a big pun, sorry, Harlequins fan um, compiling in, apparently, I didn't actually know this, Anthony Allen was part of the Harlequins Academy before he went to Gloucester, and they, and they came and said, not homegrown, you know, he was ours, and I was like, you know, relax, it's a bit of fun, some people got very upset, anyway, we'll look at that later, thank you to everyone who's listened and rated and subscribed and everything over the last few weeks, please continue to do so, you can rate us and leave a review if you like on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with us, our Twitter handle is at RollingMallPod and our email address is therollingmall at outlook.com. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans 
and St Martins have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St Martins Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGMALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. Beep, 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 beep. Welcome to the news section. Let's go straight to our reporter in the field, Elliot. Um, have you got any good news for us, mate, after the last couple of stinky, stinky weeks? <laughs> well, I suppose a starting point would be our good mate, Freddie Burns. Friend of the pod. Got to say that after anyone who's ever been on the pod. Whether they like us or not, it's irrelevant. You've got to say that straight away after mentioning them. In all fairness, we have slid into Freddie's DMs a couple of times. He does respond back. Yeah, I'm like Namani. Thanks, Namani. If everyone wants to start a Twitter pylon on Namani telling him to come on here after he said, yeah, I'll definitely do it. And then he, he was that keen to avoid it. He flew to fucking Australia straight away. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty ballsy. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you slide into the DMs of Shazam. He always responds back. Freddie always responds back. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah, we got, can call him. We've got a few people who put put up with our creeping on uh, on Twitter. It's all right. That's a royal we. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean those photos you put out to Freddie. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, whatever, whatever gets attention, that's got their attention straight away. But yeah, but no, I, uh, let's start. Let's start with Freddie Burns because I, I think he looked properly crocs against Sale. He took a bang to the knee. Obviously, Pollard not match fit, um, and then Charlie Atkinson took a bang early doors against Newcastle to his bad knee as well, and it looked like it could be an awkward one sort of soldiered on, but was kind of hobbling a little bit through the game. And I thought, oh my goodness, we're running out of fly halves here. But we've got a little bit of good news. Well, this is it. I thought you, you were going to get a call up at some point. Uh, well, imagine pretend. imagine the depths that would have to be, where I sit on that depth chart. Where do you want a crash ball fly half? It's an underrated let's skill. Let's do it. Let's bring it back. But mm. no, thankfully, we, we don't have to uh, get on the Batmobile to uh, yourself. Um, Freddie's injury, I think, as you say, looked bad. I think the thinking for the last sort of 10 days, two weeks since the game against Sale was that it's a bad one and it's a serious one. The good news is that Freddie hasn't got a serious injury. I think it's just bruising on his knee, back running, and by all accounts was in good form at the press day today. So uh, um, a bit of a, a minor miracle, really, a medical mir- miracle that is um, back on the park because I, to all intents and purposes, I thought that was him done. I mean, you, yeah. when you get carried off in that um, sort of manner, Freddie's not someone to sort of milk an injury either. I mean, he he got back into the defensive line and, and tried. Yeah, that's play, it. Like, he looks he looks chase, shot to pieces. Yeah, and chasing back Manu of all people and sort of like almost hopping after him, uh, which now knowing what we know, that it's not a serious injury, makes it sound like he was just sort of you know flopping about, being a bit of a footballer about it. So, you know, pull yourself together, Freddie. No, but in all seriousness, it, I, I've actually had what I think it is. He's had bruising on the bone, which is excruciatingly painful and I've had it done to the same knee which I've had done twice with uh, reconstructions and I thought it had gone a third time and the only thing was that I was hopeful about was A, it was much more painful than actually doing my knee ligaments and B, um, it uh, I didn't hear a snap which is always a good sign uh, so hopefully as you say kind of 
he's had a second opinion and he's up and he's in good spirits and he's running around. I hope it's not the second opinion that we got on Pollard when we uh, rushed him back against Saracens. Uh, I hope we've got a different doctor this time. Um, but other than that, that is fantastic news and good news about Charlie Atkinson as well. Yeah, absolutely. Again, today's media day, saw Charlie um, speaking to the guys and again, by all accounts, in good form um, and fit for uh, for the weekend, running around and not injured. Everyone has a knock. I think everyone in the squad has some sort of knock. So yeah. I don't think anyone's ever fully fit, but considering the sort of bang he took early doors, I think we're all a bit sort of like, oh, concerned. But yeah, by all accounts, all is good. It's uh, interesting because obviously you're not a sort of really uh, funny comment. I think it was um, SPK on Twitter who said, <laughs> Richard Wigglesworth had come out and said, we've, had, we've got one who may be coming back soon. Uh, but a load more are now down. And he said, I think I preferred Steve Borthwick straight back to this constant sort of flow of bad news. And I thought that was quite funny. But um, if we're taking what Wigglesworth is saying, um, I I just wonder how much of a pinch of salt we drop on it. And I'm not saying that he is being dishonest. I'm wondering, you know, kind of some of the words he used can be open to a severe amount of interpretation, you know, for a while, what a while could be two weeks to, you know, six months. And it, it's interesting, particularly as he's been quite blunt and open before, saying, I don't particularly want to give detailed injury updates because it does give the opposition a little bit of a head start. You'd rather surprise them thinking that somebody is not going to be available and all of a sudden there they are in your starting lineup. I think I remember Cockrell, when Manu came back, he went as far as to not name him in his 23 and still pretend he was going to be out for months and then sort of on the match day had someone pull up with cramp or whatever and all of a sudden Manu was there in a 23 shirt. And that was... I think largely to surprise Saints, but also to avoid a bit of the hype around it as well. So part of me wonders, you know, if Wigglesworth is playing his cards close to his chest and the optimist in me is saying that perhaps, we, you know, we may be seeing some guys come back. Um, I, I believe, you know, guys like Jasper have been training today. Um, how far away he's off playing, I'm not quite sure. But, um, but that's my optimistic approach. Do you think that's a little bit um, idealist? No, I think Wiggy is someone that I think I don't think he can get any more closed book than Steve was. Um, so I think Wiggy does try and give us a bit more than what was going on before. I think at the same point, Wiggy has also got he's started to realise, obviously, in now in the top the top job, there are start there are things you can and can't say, or things you want to say and don't want to say. And I think he there is a a little bit of games going on, and I don't yeah, I don't have any issue with that. Um, it's not really just for us. It's not just us as fans that are listening to it. it. Like you say, it is the opposition as well. They all. It might only make one or two percent, but I'd rather have one or two percent that bats in our favour rather than the opposition's. So, Sir Clive Woodward, the monumental dickhead that he is now. However, when he was, you know, the force for good when we won the World Cup, one of his things was stop looking for the big sort of ten, twenty percent wins and just focus on the lots of the small one, two percents because they all add up and. That's probably quite a good example. Um, let's go and have a chat about coaches, though, because you left a cryptic tweet on your handle, didn't you, think that there may be some news coming out of the club? Um, there were some rumours in the rugby paper, but there seems to be some movement potentially towards a defence coach. Yeah, so there's a couple of whispers sort of doing the rounds that um, we'll be hiring a new coach this week and it'll be a defence coach. Uh, so apologies again if it's, uh, if it's if that's not the case, but there's a couple of whispers from usually credible sources suggesting that um, someone's coming in 
to help the club, uh, presumably on a short-term basis just to see us through until the end of the season. Um, there's a couple of names who I think it could be. I think you're either looking at Brett Hodgson, um, who has got a superb record with England. He's never lost a game. <laughs> by, how, many, by, how many games did he play? Zero, but the same <laughs> point. <laughs> Undecent. Undefeated. Him and well, Cockers is, head, is undefeated as head coach as England as well. So uh, they have a fairly good uh, record between them. So I think that's a, I think is a possible. You need to specify, we don't think Cockers is coming back. <laughs> no. Oh my God, imagine the fans forum then. I mean, Ugh. that's just pure banter to be fair. But um, yeah. No, so look, I think Brett Hodgson would be a candidate. Look, he, he was coming in to start January the 1st. Steve has just obviously took care of with him. Um, as part of his own coaching team. So there's no requirement for Brett as a defence coach. So he's looking for work. I can see uh, a phone call being made from us um, to him. Uh, the other one was the name that was mentioned in the rugby paper, Omar Manumi. I think it's the apologies for the pronunciation being um, off if it is. Um, name, he's currently at Exeter um, as defence coach. The rugby paper linked us at the weekend. Uh, the rugby paper was saying it was more a summer um, joining so you can understand again you can sort of see where the timing fits where either we've gone to Exeter and spent a bit of money just to get an early release or there's an opportunity to get an early release or it is a summer signing and, and summer's coming in in the meantime uh beforehand because he only I, joined them last year from Exeter and I, as I understand it it's not uncommon for coaches particularly ones who have been bought in perhaps you know like with reputations in the air to go on one-year contracts um, and this, of course, this gentleman is the, you know, the man with the Twitter burner account um, who took to slagging off Bristol and Pat Lamb uh, for basically never coaching defence. Uh, and it was rumoured to be him behind this account, basically getting overly frustrated. Uh, so f- first off, if it is him, he, he's already got a leg up with all the supporters because he likes to slag off Pat Lamb and Bristol. So welcome aboard, sir, as far as I'm concerned. But I wonder if what you're saying kind of makes sense. If you've got Hodgson, who's who needs a job for a few months having stepped down from his previous place, then he's potentially got, you know, four or five months to go and help out here for the end of the season. And then potentially as well, you've got a longer term appointment um, of the guy whose name I can't pronounce yet because I need to start practicing it and I don't want to insult him by getting it wrong. Um, He's meant to be a bit of a character though, to put it uh, kindly. Yes, I think how it was described to me, about him was his methods are brilliant. However, he's a bit of a bell end. Now we and me and you had of of um, signified that we think there's two types of bell end, and we're trying to work out which one he is and which one we want him to be. There's bell end one who's a bit of a flash Harry, um, very arrogant. Yeah, bit of a you know, bit of a knob. Basically, flash, you know, arrogant up himself. Or there's bell end number two, which is taskmaster sets high standards and really drives into authoritarian in his ways. We would suspect we would rather have Bellin number two. Uh, because it's not something that we'd consider to be a Bellin at this club. That's just kind of generally the kind of people we had in. Like, you know, Gustard, Paul Gustard is a great example. Or some A lot of people have worked with him and say he works people bloody hard, but he's a great coach. And he went to Harlequins, and I think because they wanted some steel, but it just didn't mesh because people would say that, oh, actually, that was... You know, we just hated his methods. He was driving us in the wrong way. Today, we'd probably do quite well at Tigers, I suspect, because we probably, like Saracens, have a similar sort of ethos in terms of hard, uh, hard work. And, you know, we quite appreciate the Taskmaster. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. 
I think it shows though, isn't it, that I think we'll, I think over the next sort of few months, I think there was, there'll probably maybe more one or two more sort of income in terms of um coaches to the club. Because I think being realistic, I was thinking about this the last couple of days. Wheatley is the only realistic option for the club. You know, Eddie Jones would have been, I think there was a few alternatives to Wiggy to be made as interim head coach, none of which were really that likely. You know, I was looking for it. Steve Diamond down at Worcester is trying to get him, he's trying to buy uh, yeah. consortium there. Eddie, why would he take over at Leicester when, you know, all the best players are going to be taken by Steve? Yeah, and, and we know that he's going to take a consultancy for the World Cup. And then after the World Cup, he's probably want to go uh, another, get another international request. Yeah, Wayne Pivak wants a long-term gig. He's just come out of Wales. He's going mm. to want to, sit, you know, hold the seat warm for someone. Yeah, he's his, his reputation. It, in fairness to Pivak, he had a great, great stint at the Scarlets. Did a great job there. But his reputation's been tarnished quite significantly by his performance as Wales boss, I feel. Yeah, and like, as we say, we did. is he really want to, going to sit tight for six months? He's going to want a long-term thing. We probably want to explore our options mm. still. So again, I don't see that as being a practical well, th- th- This is something we've got, fans have got to understand when people say, oh, you know, why haven't we gone for this guy? Why haven't we gone for that guy? It's still a pretty tight financial ship we're running. There was a great interview with Andrea Pynchon, wasn't there, with uh, Adam Whitty on the Radio Lesser Rugby Show. I mean, seriously, piss off Adam, because literally he put that tweet out about 15 minutes after we'd got an email to Andrea saying, hi, Andrea, do you want to come on the podcast? It'd be a great way for you to connect with fans to talk about stuff. And then it was like this sort of this alarm went off in Adam's head and he went and tweeted that he had an exclusive interview. So, yeah, fair play, Adam. But it was really interesting and a great interview. So do listen to it if you can. But one of the things she talked about as well was the finances of the club saying, look, it's it's still not kind of in a position where, you know, we're rolling in a flash of cash, but it's very solid and it's on, you know, a sound footing now moving forward. And what I don't want to see the club doing is panic buying and throwing money, trying to buy people out of contracts um, who, you know, we think are going to be good or under, you know, pressure from the fans, because that isn't going to be a sensible use of resources. If we have to sort of scrape by for this season, which I don't think we should have to do with the quality of coaches we do, but I think if we have to scrape by for this season and take stock, I think that's got to be something we're prepared to do. I also think in terms of assistant coaches, in terms of the forwards, defence, attack, whatever, there are a lot of movement out there in these types of coaches. Head coaches are a lot stickier because the nature of the job that that is, they are hard to remove. They're so important. But in terms of the support network of coaches, there is a lot of movement out there, even now. I mean, you only have to look at the England situation. There's people coming and going. Scotland, <laughs> it's, it's the last 48 hours. No, their attack coach has is, is, is just left. So, And the rumour is the head coach, Townsend, is going off to be an assistant coach at France. Proud Scotsman that he is. Unbelievable. I mean, you think we've got problems. So yeah. I, think this is, I think this is it. I think if you were to... I was trying to... As, a, as part of my sort of thought process over the last couple of days, going, well, if I was the chief executive or the chairman of Leicester, and one day I will be, and I'm, me and you will be in charge of all of this. No, no, uh, no, you, you could be in charge. I, I've seen the opening for mascot at the club. Oh, you're taking that one. Sorry. I, I'll, I, you have mascot. I'll be uh, I'll, El Capitano. Oh, we can rotate. It's fine with me. But just, just quickly, who would make the better mascot, you or me? Me, because I think you're more likely to go rogue and hug uh, Guy Porter or punch anyone that tackles Guy Porter. Or t- this is my problem. I think I'm, I might bring a level of aggression that might be inappropriate for a cuddly mascot. Um, you know, kind of start like whooping. It, it, it will feral in old school when he starts leaping through flaming rings and stuff like that. I, I can imagine, you know, 
I'm by the sideline and a player sort of opposition player gets tackled into touch, you know, dropping the cheeky knee, things like that. And basically starting a scuffle and going like flying into it with or, the, com- the confidence of having a massive padded head to protect me. Or you're running up alongside the touch judge, pointing out incidents. <laughs> going, ref, ref. Yeah, yeah. screaming always my dad calls it, flag wagger. Um, uh, yeah, I think that on that basis alone, I think I win slightly. But um, mm. yeah, I think if I was El Capitano, what would I do? And I think, well, actually, Wiggy's strength here is he's a great rugby thinker. He's a great strategist. He's a great rugby reader of the game and setting a game plan and, and strategy. So you can understand why he's got made um, interim head coach because of that. You know, all the sort of testimonies from his ex-teammates when he announced his retirement all suggested similar sort of things of great thinker, top guy. So you can understand why the club want to get involved with Wigan. Andrew's comments about he is a head coach in the waiting, whether here or somewhere else. So you, you can, the cynic will always go, oh, the club is just being cheap. But at the same point, if you can get in at the ground level with someone that's going to be a good, you think or perceive to be the qualities of having a head coach, you can understand why they want to get on board with him. At the same point, you have got to try and utilise his strengths as much as possible. And actually, it might be that Wiggy's best strengths is is almost a sort of a DOR role, you know, that sort of over-the-top sort of thinking of it, getting the chess pieces in place and actually having people on the training ground doing the actual coaching and working with the players and upskilling the, the, the I, players. So you can I end don't up know. having I mean, a situation. Like, it's, it's, it, I, I take your point, I suppose. I'd say that Wiggy's only experience so far has been coaching and we, and we don't know. And generally you see guys move from head coach into that DOR, DOR role, don't you? It's almost like another level above. But speaking of coaches, though, Andrea has... Um, did confirm to Adam that they have been interviewing. They've had basically a long list that got put into a short list. Borthwick is helping effectively or giving references and giving pointers effectively to people who you think will be best placed to continue and build on the work he did at Tigers, which is great to hear. Um, and so there, there are a few names uh, that have been floating about. We think, and we know that Andrew says that they've started interviewing people, which is great to hear. We think we know one of the people who has been interviewed, don't we? But I don't think it's a big shock. Dan McFarland at Ulster. Yeah. Uh, who, who over previous years has done a fantastic job, but this season they look properly toilet at times. So it's kind of, uh, it's raising a few questions perhaps about, you know, like whether he's taken that side as far as he can. But I never like to see a team sort of roll over like they did. Um, uh, you, well, to be fair, I mean, we did do too well at sale, but neither did, uh, not, <coughs> neither did also. That was a particularly wet performance by then. No, it's worth remembering that they are before last weekend. They were still they were still fourth in the URC. Uh, however, the, since mid November December time, their form seems to have fallen off a cliff uh, a little bit. Um, but also, you know that we think Dan McFarlane's on there. But the, the interesting thing that came out of that interview was the use of oval analytics uh, as yeah. part of our sort of consultancy. Um, to pick the head coach, which is the same recruitment tool that we use to recruit the players. So considering the success of that over the last two and a half years, I think it's quite heartwarming to to hear that we are using Oval Analytics as well in terms of um, sorry, trying to I'm find just, a coach. I'm just chuckling again because I, as long as it doesn't end the same way, you know, all this stuff, but we're using Oval Analytics, global search, and it's still going to be Matt O'Connor, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. The computer keeps plump, punching out Matt O'Connor just on the other side of the computer, Matt O'Connor just typing his name into it. Um, yeah, um, I, it, that, that is, it sounds like Andrew came across so well. Sounds like she's really on top of it. Sounds like she deserves a holiday, frankly, after the couple of years she's had. But um, but 
as far as we know, that is where things stand on the coaching front. We'll obviously let you know if we hear any more whispers. Well, we're very lucky, as I mentioned before, to be joined again by Tiger's legendary scrum half, Sam Harrison. Shazam, how are you doing, mate? Good, thank you. Yeah, very well. Just struggling with hay fever at the minute. So apologies if it's just me blowing my nose for half an hour. But yeah, good to see you both. Yeah, we thought you'd been on the vino um, before. But we were saying before you came on, you know, everyone goes to Australia and you hear about, I'll oh, be careful of the spiders, the snakes, the sharks. Nah. Australia's silent killer, the, the pollen. Yeah, at the minute, yeah. I, I've actually been avoiding it so far for three years and then this year it's just got me. Um, but they reckon hay fever is like an eight-year cycle. So I've got eight years of it now and then I'll have eight years off, hopefully. So. Oh, that's a positive way of looking <laughs> forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Silver lining in eight years when I'm 40. <laughs> yeah, Did, look um, forward to it. Um, so how's things over in Oz? Have you been sort of saving any more lives? Was it sort of your elderly neighbours over your shoulder as, as you wade through floods again? <laughs> no, thankfully that's all um, all water under the bridge, we'll say. Um, and yeah, it's been pretty dry for the last half a year. So um, yeah, the weather's been great. So yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you said, because yeah. I, I went over to see Weiss family in Aust- um on the central coast so i always think because you're in new south wales i thought oh that's like just around the corner from you it's not it's like a four hour five hour drive sort of down the coast yeah you are yeah i realized that when i was cycling down it down the m1 obviously red slater and um yeah i thought you know sydney it's the same it's the same state as what i live in (laughs) it's Around the it's corner, but it's like Leicester to Hinkley, yeah. it's just down the road. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. M69, you know, I'd bike that, and then, um, yeah, I, I was in too deep, so yeah, you put it on Insta, story. mate. You put, as soon as it goes on Insta, you can't take it back. No, that's it, yeah, made the, made the account and everything, so I had to do it. Yeah, how was that? How was that bike ride? Yeah, it was awesome, actually. It was, yeah, one of the more positive experiences I've had, uh, in my life, I suppose. It was, it was amazing, I think. Just having Ed over here, um, I'm sure obviously we, we, there's been a lot been said about the whole thing, but having Ed over here um, when we did it and arriving at his old rugby club was just made it really exciting and special. And it was just an awesome week, really. Um, all the lads who did it, like we didn't really know each other that well. Some of us did. I'd, I'd obviously a few of my ex-teammates and stuff, um, all mutual friends of Ed. Um, but it was just a really positive experience of um, a few lads coming together for something good and creating a really good amount of awareness and money. Um, and Ed also being involved as well with his family and his family stayed with my family and it was just a really awesome time. And, um, you know, we miss, we miss, miss them now they're gone really, but, um, yeah, it was awesome. It looked like an awesome week. I mean, some of the Instagram, the training videos were a particular highlight as was uh, Bridget of the Day. Bridget of the Day was a favourite. Yeah, 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 that was, that was my favourite. That that was as exciting as it got, the bridges, but there are really good bridges over here. I'm, I'm not just saying it, there's some great bridges. Um, You're accidental partridge, just, um, just just sprung up at me. There's uh, some uh, uh, fantastic bridges in Australia, very underrated. Who invented the bridge? Yeah. Um, No, but Sydney. Next call in, name your favourite Australian bridge. Yeah, Sydney Harbour Bridge is actually um, like 
you just think, I mean, you've probably seen it, but I just thought, like, oh, it's just a bridge. And then everyone was like, no, mate, it's not just a bridge. I was like, no, I know it is. I got there, I was like, because I was expecting, you know, the Newcastle Bridge? Yeah, yeah. On the New- Newquay Brown Ale. I was just thinking it'd just be like that, but a little bit bigger. And we got there and I was like, fuck, like, sorry, I can't swear probably. No, you, but, can, um, you, can, you can. You can fucking swear as much as you want. Oh, fuck. Okay, so I was like, <laughs> fuck, this is unreal. And it was. We, we cycled across it, um, the, the opera house down there and... That was actually the first time um, that I was like, oh, I'm actually, like, I live in Australia. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. that's what you see as a kid. And, and I was like, fuck, this is sick. So, yeah, that no, was great. Good bridge. Yeah. Bridge, bridge <laughs> of the year goes to Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah. It, it, it is very good. Apart from, like, when you're stuck on traffic on there, when I lived out there, um, then you get, like, it's almost like sort of that New York approach to traffic. You just hear, like, Australians, like, leaning out the windows going, what the fuck's going on up there? which makes it more entertaining um a lot's happened since we last spoke we had um i think we had you on back probably not too dissimilar time to last year sort of jan feb time it would have been march because it was when the floods were yeah March. yeah so tigers sort of doing well we said oh you know looking good for the playoffs ended up going on and and winning the whole bloody thing um Yeah, yeah what was that like for you watching it from there um how did you feel seeing your old mate uh, Freddie Burns hitting the drop goal, or where, did you have that mixed emotion of like, yes, we've won, but they're saying, oh god, now we're never going to hear the end of this. From, oh, from, mate, from, so Fre- I, from Freddie, no, no. So I actually, um, I watch it on Stan, um, and I've got an Apple TV, but it's like mm. a really old Apple TV. I need to get a new one, and you can't like pause or fast forward or rewind. And basically, um, we we're watching the game. I watched the game the next morning. So the game had already happened, I think. And I'd switched my phone off, all that stuff. Got up at like six to watch it. Started watching it. Got towards like near the end. And then I went for a shit, like my morning shit. Mm. And then it happened. Came back, they'd won the league. So and was that in coincidence? I, missed, I think not. I mi- no, yeah. I missed the drop goal. But obviously, I dropped, <laughs> I dropped my, own, my own thing. But yeah, obviously came back, they'd won the league, so it was unbelievable. Um, uh, and obviously to see Freddie, his reaction said it all, it's priceless. But um, no, it was, it was awesome, it was awesome, yeah. What did you miss most, seeing a drop goal or for social for the next 48 hours after? Because that's monumental, isn't it? Like winning the league and the social that comes with it, you'll have seen it from from your time winning it. It must be a pretty good, pretty good couple yeah. of days. The social is actually always better when you really shit. Like, because that's the highlight of the year. So when, like, the year we nearly got relegated, yeah, that was a that was a better social, I reckon, because you're like, we are nothing, we're terrible. Let's yeah. go and just be horrible. Open the taps, yeah. The, Let's go and be horrible to each other, yeah. Got, yeah. We, we had Guy Thompson on earlier, because we, we, we were talking about his, I think it was that Newcastle game, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah where yeah. it was, ended up being massive, and he spiked very highly off the record button. About the uh, about the social that year, so I suspect that yeah. might be one of the ones you're talking about. Yeah, I think it was. It would have been. Yeah, but no, no. Obviously, the the um, everything that comes with winning the final at Twickenham, um, you know, it's, it is literally a lifetime ago since I did it. So it just feels like a different life almost. But you know, it's just a, a whirlwind. And obviously, seeing some of my ex teammates do it, especially Tom and Ben lifting it was yeah. was just unreal really and I was just so happy for them um because there's a there's just so much uh hard work and effort and like we previously spoke about a lot of 
bad press and, and all that. Yeah. Years of up and down, up and down for, for Tom to get. Obviously, obviously, what he went through to have that reward at the end was was amazing to watch from here. And I was just immensely proud to be like teammates with a lot of them boys because they all deserved it so much. What impressed you most about sort of how the the side sort of pulled it together and and played last year? What what do you think was the key to it? Uh, it was just, I mean, it's it's probably been a lot more well better documented than what I can describe. But I just think they did every all the all the boring stuff. They did extremely well. Like the set piece was was unreal. Um, the line out was well oiled, and I don't I, I don't know what the stats are, but they're probably one of the most um, what's the word, uh, well-operating line-outs in the league last year um, and probably defensively as well. Um, and they just did all the right thing. They were like a, a like a big boa constrictor. Like they just suffocate teams. Um, not necessarily, they didn't obviously play the most exciting rugby. Kicked it a lot, um, a hell of a lot. I think probably that they have stats on the kick in. That yeah, they especially kick the final. Amount, they, they, win. Got, they doubled down on it in the final, didn't they, as well? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's obviously a, a part of a plan and the Borthwick sort of Saracen's old way. Um, but it works. And all I really care about as a fan is, um, obviously I do care about watching exciting rugby, but to me, Leicester winning is exciting. So um, I, I just, the, the power and the physicality of the team one to fifteen is what got them over the line, I think, last year. Um and obviously this year it's obviously been a bit all, all over the place. They haven't quite found their form yet for what for obviously several reasons now. But mm. um, you know, last year it was just that start of the year they were just you know, that unbeaten run they had, and then that just gave them the confidence. And I think with the league as tight as it is now, I don't think there's any more probably said this last time but there's there's no more competitive leagues in the world I don't think than no. than the premiership at the minute and I think confidence is a huge part in it now um you know whether that's a coach giving the players confidence to go and express themselves or players genuinely feeling confident within themselves because they're getting results um you know I think that's huge at the minute I think that's probably what's winning team get winning teams games um certainly what from what I've seen anyway Looking back to the other big thing that happened since we last spoke was obviously um, Steve Borthwick and Sir Kev, as we call him now, um, leaving the club after being picked up by the RFU to coach England, Eddie Jones being sacked. Were you sort of surprised by sort of England's decision and, and what did you make about sort of effectively Tigers losing such an important duo halfway through a season? Um, it's difficult, Rick. Like, there's no... Uh... Yeah, there's no right or wrong, is there? It's it's professional sport. And I think, um, you know, from our, if it was me making the decisions, I would have, I feel like England made the decision to keep Eddie long term for this World Cup cycle. Um, and I think for, it looks like to me that they, they probably didn't. They probably made this decision for another reason. But it looks like to me that the sort of media frenzy that came around um, from, to get Eddie sacked is yeah. one of the, that's what ended up England probably going, bloody hell, we're just going to have to sack him. And I'm sure Steve was probably on their books anyway for the horizon. But um, I just think it's it's difficult now to see, <clears throat> obviously, Borthwick, Sinfield, they, they were doing an incredible job. And I see Nick um, 
Nick Evans is attack coach yeah. as well, so that that'll be great as well. That'll be exciting. But it's it's not just about getting three really good coaches in and going right right now we can do well in the World Cup. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think fans will expect England now to win the World Cup, surely. Um, but I do think it's strange to to do it this at this time. Um, and obviously at the same time it leaves Tigers in um a bit of a hole um in that respect. So that's Obviously, a shame as a Tigers fan, uh, but at the same time, that's just how it works. That's what happens. But yeah, it's strange. It's strange to sack a coach this close to the World Cup when they've backed him for so long. In terms of Eddie Jones, I'm talking about, um, and obviously as a Tigers fan, it makes you go, "Yeah, they shouldn't have bloody sacked him because <laughs> now we've lost our two coaches as well." So, well, um, it does feel like a year too early or a year too late, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, nothing's changed. Like, that's the whole point is the same problem for England is this is exactly the same as we were about a year ago, basically. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. changed. We didn't sack him then. So, you know, like, why sack him now if, you know, this is all part of the plan, as um, yeah. Eddie would be telling them. So, yeah, strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you've sort of had. Um, a few coach changes in your time at Tigers, like halfway through a season. There was a period of time. I think Elliot, did we have a bit of a merry-go-round at one point? Didn't we? Well, Sam would probably tell it a better story for me. But at one point, we had Cockers into Major into Matt O'Connor in the space of about three months, um, which is yeah not suboptimal at the best of times. Uh, and then yeah. technically, Matt O'Connor obviously the season started when he when he went and Geordie came in. So, like, what's what's the mentality of players like when guys? kind of like leave halfway through albeit I, I know that this is the Tigers the current situation is slightly different in that you know there was no inkling of Steve Borthwick being sacked by Tigers at no all. yeah yeah uh, and so but effectively it's still the same in that he's left halfway through uh, what does that do for players and how do you like react to that in camp um I, I mean it, I think the situation we were in in say 2000 and would have been 15 16 17 maybe 14, but yeah, around that area when they brought Major in, Matt O'Connor left 2013 when we won the league. So I suppose that's similar. He left for Leinster to become their DOR and he was our head of attack at that point when we won the league that year. Um, so that was a similar thing. He left us for a, a technically better job and left a hole that needed replacing and they brought... Uh, Paul Burke ended up taking the attack over, didn't quite work. And then that's how the major thing happened. And then he, him and Cockers didn't quite work. Results weren't coming our way. And then Mage went. Cockers went first. Cockers um, went first. Because yeah, won, won the, um, won the, LV, the L- LV with, yeah. with Mage, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, lost to Saracens in the semi-final, I remember, away. Yeah. And then, uh, then, yeah, the year after it would have been, Matty O'Connor came in. Didn't quite work again. He gave, went after four games or whatever. It, year and a half, was it, actually? Well, yeah, so he had, he had a year and a half and then he won game into the... Um, uh, I think it was like... Yeah, like, we lost to Exeter heavily. Away. Yeah, that's it, yeah, Sandy Park. Yeah. And, anyway, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But um, as as his playing group, to answer your question, um, because of the situation we were in where we were just sort of... Uh, not not getting any form and sort of being the team that everyone was saying, yeah, look, they're not doing great. So let's sort of, you know, everyone was kicking as well. We were down, I suppose. As a team, that's a very different place to be as uh, instead of these lads who they've won the league 
and now their coaching setups left. So I can't really, I don't know what that environment would be like now. I don't know whether Borthwick has left um, a massive hole in the changing room or like the system. And, you know, I don't know how the week was structured that how many lads went and spoke to Borthwick or whether he's put the systems in place, knowing that this may well happen sooner rather than later. And that there's these systems in place that the lads are now a group that have a, you know, a backbone of a structure that whoever comes in or out can play to that if if they were to keep Wigglesworth, I suppose. Um, so it's hard to answer what's going to be going on now at the changing ground. Um, I don't think too much would have changed, but I think as a playing group, all you can do is stick together. Um, you obviously need good leaders and it seems like Hanro is... A, an extremely good leader from everything I've seen and the the year year and a half I played with him he was a lot younger then I suppose um, but he's got everything you want as a, as a captain and I suppose having a good captain like that and also a mix of different people which Tigers definitely have they have a lot of Leicester lads a lot of young lads who obviously we've spoken about before and then a lot of older mature lads like Montoya who have test experience I think you've got a solid group there that there's nothing you need to drastically freak out about as a team. And um, as long as they can stay together, obviously they're going through a rough patch now. I mean, I don't think it's that rough a patch. I think Sale are an extremely good team. I think they'll probably make the playoffs. Um, They obviously beat us very well, but I think the circumstances of that game were incredibly strange. The amount of injuries that we had in the backs and we had like a hooker playing at centre and, you know, if you take that game as a one-off, I think it's not really that terrible. And then obviously the game against Newcastle, I watched, they didn't play well at all. But that's going to happen if your head coach and your defence coach leave. Um, but I think as a group, the lads won't be at all, you know, oh, we're shit, we're, we need to rechange everything we're doing, we need to get some better players in, we're sh-. you know, I don't think that'll be happening yeah, at all. Help, I think. help, we need a new coach, help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, and especially Wigglesworth being the temperament, he is very calm. I think I think it will be a very calm place at the minute and they'll just be like, right, what's the next game? I know they've got, is it Europe now? Goes to Europe? Yeah. Kirk, I'm on the way next. Nice, easy one. Yeah. But at the same time, there's no pressure now. Like So hopefully this is the week. The Premiership, you sort of need to win week in, week out. You need to win, you need to win. This Europe, the way the competition is now, I think they'd probably look at it as, Right, what can we actually do different now? Steve's gone, Kev's gone. What are we not confident in now they've gone? What do we need to nail down as, you know, our fundamental parts that maybe we need more work on this? And, you know, these European weeks are probably a good week for this to happen. And they'll probably rest some boys as well, I imagine, who are mentally and physically drained from all that's gone on. And obviously the week in, week out of the Premiership, it's relentless. So... Um, it would probably be a good breather for the whole club, really. Um, and just, you know, the old take stock, but I think they will do that. And, um, I, you know, I think Northampton's their first game back and that would be awesome at Welford Road. And I think if there's one game that you'd want as a as a player um, to, to prove to the fans that, you know, just because Steve Borthwick's left, the club isn't finished now. Like, Northampton at home is the one you'd want to play. And I think that is probably the. If they were to lose fifty nil against Northampton, uh, is it at home or is it at Saints? Yeah, so. Yeah, you know, if they were to lose fifty nil against that, you know, 
I think everyone would be very disappointed and there might start to be a few questions asked, maybe three in a row, three heavy defeats in a row, you've got to. But I think the last two defeats, I think you've got to take with the biggest pinch of salt you can find, really, because it's an incredibly difficult situation for the whole squad to just carry on like nothing's happened and be you know, really good top four quality team, which they are, um, but the league's so tight that any you're 10% off, you'll get beaten by 30 points now. So that's that's the way I see it. One of the questions that, or one of the phrases I've seen the most over the last sort of week or so, especially after Saturday, was how can the boys forget all that they've been told by Borthwick and Sinfield? Now, I've obviously never been in a changing room. I've never played professional rugby. How do you how would you answer that question? Is is it a case of people forgetting, or is it a case of the coaches not there, so they're not being drilled to the same extent? What's the how would you respond to that sort of comment? Because I don't, as, as I say, as a player, I don't, and I wouldn't know the, the answer to that. I don't see what goes on in the training field. Well, I think you know, looking at it from from my point of view, like bear in mind, I don't really. I, there's only a couple of the lads I now speak to, and it's never about rugby. It's always just memes and stuff I send them so um you know I don't I don't go oh what's it like at training you know I, I don't have that relationship because I'm, I'm not really bothered what it's like at training I just enjoy watching the games now but um I forgot the question um no yeah so just because I don't think that the case of forgetting the, you know it's all done in pre-season it's all done last year what the team do it was all done two years ago um that that's it's like it's like a piano player learning to play when they're eight and then their teacher leaves and they forget you know that's just it's ridiculous to even suggest that they've forgotten how to defend or how to attack or whatever how to drive a line out it's I, I don't think they were in the best place anyway this league this year confidence wise I, I I don't know if I'm right but I think confidence is a huge thing and um winning the league and having that pressure of being the champions um, and how do you like go again? Like, I feel like that in this day and age, um, Saracen's probably the last team to have, you know, accomplished that sort of level of, you know, maintaining and getting better and better. And that's a different story. But I think this day and age, having a team that can win, obviously they won very tightly in that final um, and then go again the next year, Bear in mind, Fordy left, uh, Ellis left, like probably the two best players last year. Um, yeah. Hey, anyway, like it's Nadolo leaving. They're like, they're pretty irreplaceable players in my in my opinion. Like obviously Pollard is, is a world-class 10, but he's not fit at the minute and hasn't, you know, it will take him a while. It will take him a while and he'll be away for a bit as well. So I think Fordy is a massive loss for me because... He's now, you're seeing it at sale. He's as much of a, of a coach as he is player. Um, and he and does it he so would, much on the pitch as well. I think he lends that calmness, doesn't he, as well? Yeah, yeah, he's invaluable. And, and I think, like, I've got no doubt that he's probably pretty much running sales attack now um, for them. Like, that's the sort of player he is and the sort, you know, he's an absolute student of the game. So that's like three irreplaceable players who Tigers have lost, plus their... DOR and defence coach, someone like Simfield is again an irreplaceable character that um are, like you can only imagine how inspirational he would be to play for. So uh, and everyone says that as well. So that's 
I pretty much that's a fact that he is like mm. so they've lost all of that so that alone is enough to and bear in mind they weren't playing that well they were having a few hot spells where they were playing great the Northampton game they played really well but you know they weren't doing that well I think they were trying to find their feet all season really yeah. trying to probably get Pollard into the team and mould it around him with you know a new new team really like that they're building again and then to have this happen again now Pollard not fit um, obviously Atkinson and, and Burnsy and Gopper for all great players but you need like um, you, you just need that like solid base of a 10 so if, if Freddie's going to be the 10 then you you do that he's more than good enough do that and then try and build it around him if Atkinson's whatever but I just don't think they've got that backbone in place for the start of this season because of people who have left and then now the coaches leave as well it is all a bit of a juggling act I suppose well I think you've hit the nail there because uh, Elliot I know you'll mention it in a minute I, I think our view is that you've got to be quite patient as a fan at the moment and at least if even if you're impatient you've got to have a little bit of understanding because for me, it's a bit of a perfect storm where the club's landed in because you've had, firstly, like you pointed out, like two of our best players leave who are irreplaceable just in basically their class. You, there aren't players, even if you went out to market, you've got Andre Pollard in, uh, and James Cronin as two repl- brilliant replacements. They're not the same. They don't do the same stuff as Ford and Genji does. Um, then we've got, um, tied in with that, the way the season's been ran, obviously, we had... All of our toughest games away, early doors. So effectively, you had I think we had Exeter, Saracens, Harlequins, uh, and oh, Saints away. So you had all of last year's top four away from home to start with. So you, it's always hard to try and build up a run of results. And then off the back uh, back of that, then you had the bye week alongside Wasps and Worcester going under. So you just had this huge gap. It was a real stop start season. We didn't get our internationals back. So we struggled to get momentum to start. So it's not like Wigglesworth and can ride off that wave of momentum, like you say, that you, you had before. Yeah. Just say, let's just carry on. Lads. And then the second point is, he's he's shit out of luck because him taking the reins has coincided with probably the first injury crisis for about two years yeah. um, that we've had. So all of a sudden, you're like, shit, where are all our back row players? Where are all our backs? Um, yeah. We're running out of fly halves now. And it's... You know, when you're having to chop and change because oh, somebody else has gone down this week, and particularly when you've, you're without, you know, who are currently our two best players, I'd say Jasper and um, and Julian. Um, yeah. They're both out. You know, you kind of say, well, Jesus, he's been not only thrown into the deep end, but the deep end is also completely shark infested and there's a big, the kid's done a shit in there as well and it's floating around. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, got, he's got a lot to contend with, I think. Yeah, I mean... Uh, and I, I don't think from the a short and like you say, you've you've said it there. Like I think if you take your sort of fan hat off, if you're a fan, um, and look at it from like any other walk of life, like a business or you know, any anything, you just couldn't expect uh, a group of people to be performing at the same level with all that happening. Like it's it's impossible, but at the same time. Um, I believe that, like you say, that run of fixtures hasn't helped. It it is a perfect storm. Now you've put it together like that. That's not an excuse, but that's just the way it is. And I think there's a lot of other clubs that are in 
not not that it's a bad place. I don't think Tigers are in a bad place at all. Doesn't that doesn't just happen overnight? But still, other two, clubs, two points off the playoffs, randomly. Yeah, yeah, and, and all twice, of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, that's deemed like not acceptable when that was the case for. I mean, even when they were winning, even when we were winning, like and in the finals, we'd always have to make a run to the playoffs. Like it's, I don't know whether COVID changed a lot of because let's be honest, I think we're, we're all sort of beating around the bush, but. I feel like the expectancy of a lot of fans is far too high because um, I don't know whether that's because you got new fans during COVID and then Tigers have won the league, so they think, oh, this is what happens. And but I just think it it seems not the majority. I think the majority are probably probably got their head screwed on. But you see some of the comments I see are just there's no way that a real person could think that, like a, a logical person could think that because. This is just going to happen, and you just got to ride it out. And you know the squad is a great squad that Borthwick built. Um, that isn't going anywhere. Like players will come back. The backroom staff hasn't changed. Alid Walters is still there. Um, like it's going to rebound, and they'll probably make the playoffs. They probably wouldn't beat Saracens this year, I don't think. But I think they'll make the playoffs. And for that to to make the playoffs, having the start of the year they've had. With the coaching shift they've had, maybe there's going to be another one around the corner. Um, like that would be an incredible achievement. Um, but I think the squad itself, from my point of view, I can only imagine. But I, I imagine they're enjoying it and just trying to get better each week, as they were for the last two years, because they were getting better each week. Um, but just because they've had these two bad results, they won't be going. We're a shit team. I know I've already said that, but I think that's the biggest thing is. The actual playing squad and the backroom staff will be like, we're in a sticky situation. We all know that. Who are we playing this week? Who's going to play? Right, this is the team. What do we need to work on? And it's always the same. Like that. That's all they can do. And I think they will just start getting better now. Um, not not immediately. You know, I'm not going to say they're going to beat Clement at the weekend. They probably won't. But um, I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll scrape into it. And then who knows from there? They could do an unbelievable back-to-back. But um, I suppose this is why sport's interesting. It's why you have a podcast, because everyone's opinion is sort of interesting. Some people's aren't. Mine probably isn't. But <laughs> it's, it's more interesting than ours. And, and you, the other reason for setting up a podcast is being sad, remember? so Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Welcome aboard. Elliot, you had some questions about, like, sort of, I suppose, like how players interact with fan kind of engagement in that respect, didn't you? Yeah, I guess, you know, social media over the last, if you look at the span of your career, Sam, when you first started to when you left Leicester, social media went from like this thing to like this massive force. And me and Mike believe it can be a force for good. This is how this podcast came about, but it can also be a force for bad, you know. Twitter especially is a top can be quite a toxic place. And you've pointed out some people's comments off the back of it. As a club, did any point in time, especially when things weren't going great, did anyone from the club say to the players, look, stay off social media, don't go on Twitter, don't read stuff. If you're going to have social media, just stick to Instagram or something like that. Or we just left to your own devices. Uh, you, you are left to your own devices. Um, and I don't, you know, for me personally, um, I was never really bothered. It just didn't really interest me. Um, when I was playing, bad comments, whatever, towards a team. Like, it, 
just wouldn't really interest me because I think like it's it's just another cliche, but you only really care about what your peers and what the coaches think. Um and if you've played shit, like you don't need like these you don't need fans to tell you that. Like you know like you already know. Like you know before them. You know before you've when you've kicked the ball, if it's going out on the full, like before they know. Do you know what I mean? It's you know if you've played shit. So um I don't for me personally, it doesn't make it any worse or better if a fan or a friend goes, you were shit or you were great. Like it's, I, I know whether I was good or bad. And I think, I like, I hopefully most of the lads are the same. I mean, I know some do read into it and they do get bogged down in it. And those ones are the ones who, because there's that support structure now, uh, probably get told, don't go on it because it's not good for you to read it because you do get affected by it. But I don't think uh, a lot of players would read it. And if they did, I don't think they'd really care. Because like from when I was playing, 96% of fan engagement face-to-face was just positive, human to human. Yeah, you're not doing great at the minute. What What do you think? No. They'd ask you, you know, what, you going to get your players in or you're going to get a new coach? They'd, you know, but they'd be respectful and interested in, how are you going to get better and why are you so shit? Which is just a good conversation to have. But um, online, it's just a completely different world where it's there's no in-between. There's no, yeah, that was okay. But, you know, it's it's you were shit or you're amazing. He's the best or he's the worst. He's overrated. He's underrated. It's the same with, same with music. It's the same with everything now. And unfortunately, it's just getting more and more extreme where that social media monster is sort of driving big decisions I believe like I believe it, it actually was a huge part in Eddie Jones getting the sack I, you know the the podcasts the rugby podcasts that were calling I'm not saying they're wrong to do that that's their job to do it that's it's exciting for a lot of people to listen to a podcast oh I wonder if the RFU are going to listen to it and act on what they hear or um you know, it is it is what it is, but I don't really like it. Uh, but at the same time, that's the world we live in. And I think now there probably is a bit more guidance with the team that, look, don't go on. I remember the Facebook Tigers page was always the best one for the comments. They'd be like, <laughs> it still amazing is. It still ones is. on there. Yeah. Oh, you literally, yeah. there are things there. I'm always amazed by at least on Twitter. That's you know, a dark, you, you, like a dark. You can understand on Twitter because people can be anonymous, but on Facebook, it, it, people have the balls to make these statements with their names attached to it. Like there was someone I was saying before we hit record who said last year was a complete fluke. Steve Borthwick is just a lucky coach uh, who got lucky with other teams being shit last year. And it yeah. was like, well, whoa, 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 all right. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely bizarre. Like some of the stuff on there. Yeah, it's it's not a. Uh... It's not the real world, in my opinion. Like it's people can be a different person on there, and I've never met I've never met a Tigers fan who's an absolute cunt to me in real life. But you lose to Newcastle away, and that a lot of them are. I'm not saying the majority. I'm saying thirty percent probably go right. I've, I've, it's fair play. They're well within their rights. They've probably driven six hours to get there, get pissed on, drink overpriced beer. Actually, no, it's that Manuai beer now Longo's beer so great beer at Newcastle um, <laughs> but they'd probably do that watch their team get beat drive home that was shit let's tweet about it why not and that's that's fine they're well within the right to but I don't perceive that as the real world as a ex-player and as when I was a player I just 
look at it as as whatever what it is. It's just someone typing something. It's it's not important really. I was gonna say off the back of off that, have you ever had players who have either left the club or get really bogged down in social media and you're like, mate, just get off, just put your phone down, mate. Just like just put it away, stop looking at your phone. It does you no good. Um, I mean, no no one I would never say like put your phone like I'd never do that if they want to do it and get themselves down about something, then I'd I'd just let them because I'm horrible. But um <laughs> And so, stop so whispering what's... it in the air, saying, "Yeah, you are shit." Yeah, 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 he's got, yeah, he's got yeah you do have a bad lid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's your burner account, Sam. That's your, that's your burner account. Yeah. You want to do it? Maybe they should pick Harrison to start. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny, nah. Lenny. <laughs> nah. Um. But any, yeah, no, I've ne- never done that. But I mean, some players. I think Freddie um, is a good example of someone who uses social media a lot, <laughs> always has done, um, but uses to his, his advantage. It's a, it's a good tool to use should you want to. And he he does it, he uses it and always has done. And he's hilarious. Um, but he also reads a lot of stuff as well. I'm not sure now. I've not spoken to him for three years or whatever, but he used to read a lot and he would be one who would get maybe a bit bogged down in comments and stuff and, read into things that, you know, especially I've heard him speak actually about when he did that drop the ball over the line uh, thing. Poor um, bastard. Yeah, well, I was actually in a hotel room with Matt Smith laughing at him on the telly when he did it because... <laughs> oh, yeah, at the time it, it was hilarious. It was amazing because we were in the hotel waiting to go to a game and we always wanted Bath to lose anyway. And then he did that and we were like, ah, fuck you, Freddie, like that. So... Um, but now I console him, so yeah, I'm so sorry for it. But um, back to the point is, I think he is an example of someone who might be more inclined to get drawn into the the negative, you know, social media engine that can sort of suck you in if you're the sort of person who you know. Because if something's about you, you you probably if someone someone writes something about you and you think it's you know if you think you've had a shit game and they write it about you. It might get you more down, uh, um, but I can't really remember what your question is. I just really, I just think social media is just irrelevant to the rugby pitch and the the job that these lads all have, um, and that's always what I was. It's probably that's less, always less the culture as well as if you've if you've been shit and somebody else says you're shit, that doesn't change your performance or change what you need to do or anything. So I suppose no, exactly. like less less the culture probably helps that a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, Sam, uh, mate, thank you so much for spending time with us um, no on, your, on your Tuesday night. I know you've got got loads of big plans. You're off out big Tuesday night session tonight. Is Huge. It? Yeah. Terrible Tuesdays. Yeah. <laughs> good, good man. Uh, I'm yeah. off to um, maybe see if I can sneak a nap from work after another uh, another rest of the night of the little one. But mate, it's so good to see you. We love hearing from you genuinely um whenever we i don't know if you you said you don't read the comments and stuff like that but after we put up the uh the podcast last year actually up until we won the league i think you were the most popular podcast people jumped on it and that was everyone absolutely loves it. it's almost like you're kind of like uh, <laughs> like someone's nephew everyone's nephew who's left home it's oh how's sam doing it's not <laughs> so everyone loves to hear from you mate so thank you so much for coming on and spending yeah. some time to talk to us Oh, no problem. I enjoy it. I enjoy um, pretending that I know 
what I'm talking about still. It's hilarious pretending to know what you're talking a real about. Ins- a real insight into professionalism with you. Yeah, because I actually hit like, because on Stan you get like the commentators sometimes who aren't on BT Sport. Yeah. And it's sort of always people around my age who have just retired or they're retired like even, basically like poor man's Austin Healy. You get like, I won't name yeah. any name. I know you're not going to record this anyway, but. You're just like, you're just pretending that you know what you're talking about. The same as what I do. Like, you can tell that some of the commentators who are ex-players, I'm like, you don't really know what you're talking about. Just like I don't. And no one does. No, no. And you're giving no. our game away now by saying this as well. So, there you go. Yeah, that's the world though, isn't it? Yeah. Mate, yeah. thanks so much. Um, so, uh, I'm sure lots of listeners will send nice stuff to you, but it's been lovely speaking to you. And uh, we'll um, uh, no doubt keep in touch um, over the rest of the season. No worries. Sorry if I was shouting as well. These headphones, they like make me deaf. And I am deaf, so yeah. <laughs> That's all right, mate. It sounded good. <laughs> Cheers, mate. All right. Well, let's go and talk about it. I tell you what, I was wrong, wasn't I? When I said I think you know that game against Sale was a real low point for us. But then the first half against Newcastle comes along. And makes me look like a right prat. First half an hour weren't great, was it? It was a pretty minging 30 minutes. Um, no, well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, even sort of, I'd say that that five minutes as we were going for the try you know, before half time was pretty depressing. The fact we you know, kept going and going and going and, and couldn't get over the line. And when we did, we dropped it. But um, anyway, 45 26 the Falcons. First thing we have to do because it's the right thing to do is congratulate Newcastle. I thought they were fantastic, particularly I thought, I thought their pack gained at least parity. And at times, I thought they looked nastier than us, um, more aggressive. And then I thought their back line cohesion was fantastic. Their back three were superb all, all game. Uh, weirdly, Radwan was probably the quietest. Thought Petty was magnificent. Uh, and Carreras, if Sale are our bogey team, I'm telling you, man, Carreras is our bogey player. He rips us apart every time we play against him, and he was he was lethal. So sometimes, again, you just got to hold up your hands and say, um, well played to the opposition. Yeah, they were very good at, one, forcing the mistakes out of us, and secondly, capitalising on them. They were so ruthless in that half an hour, you know, that first first half. You know, they, they put the pressure on us. We didn't stand up to the pressure well, and then they capitalised on it and scored all the points. It's one thing to, to put pressure on, but you've got to do something with it. And, you know, they came away... Worthy winners, and in the second half, yeah, fair enough, we won it. We'll talk about that as a positive, I guess. But actually, you know what? Newcastle held out the game, just added to their score, and did a professional job. Well, we obviously spoke to Shazam earlier about the wider things, about why perhaps performances have tailed off over the last couple of weeks, in particular, and why perhaps our expectations might need to be tweaked slightly. But I, I don't think it necessarily excuses how we played in the first half. Where do you? begin to sort of pull apart where that game, in particular the first half, went wrong. Yeah, the first half wasn't great, was it? I think that a game like Sale last week, Sale last week, the first 40 minutes killed us. We can't go, couldn't really get back into it after being 16-0 at half time. 28-5, I think it got to the worst, the nadir of the first half against Newcastle. You know, you can't, it's hard to come back from, from things like that, especially away from home. I think at home, you might have been able to do something, but you know, it's just it's too much of a lead to be given away. You can't be doing that. Uh, so I was trying to think about how this situation is. So I've got an analogy. So bear with me. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of a situation of how this situation do you sen- is. Due sense of dread and you know, but let, let's hear what you've got. So it's overall our overall situation and um, bring it back to the game as well. In a restaurant, a head chef and a sous chef create a meal. Well acclaimed, customers love it, the critics love it, and it wins awards for how good it is. Day later, they try and recreate the meal. They have almost the same ingredients. They're missing a couple, but they replaced it. Not quite as good, but they're still adequate replacements, but they're missing a couple of others. Because they don't because they're canny chefs, they're they're world-class chefs, they recreate the meal. It's not quite as good as it was the day before, but the critics still impressed by it, the customers are still impressed by it. It doesn't quit win awards, but it's still in a really good meal. Day three, head chef and a sous chef um, get headhunted. They go to the fancy restaurant down the road. Restaurant owner has to give it to the trainee chef to recreate the meal. Trainee chef is smart. He's got all the credentials and is well endorsed by the previous head chef. However, he's never cooked the meal before. He hasn't been left the recipe and he hasn't been left the methodology. And a load more more ingredients are off the shelf as well. Absolutely. You've got it. But has shadowed for the last couple of days and has been told how to make the meal. But like you say, some more ingredients have, have been taken away from it. Trainee chef tries his best, tries to recreate the meal. However, the food is inedible and gets complaints by the customers and the critics. Restaurant owner comes to come and see him and says, I'm really sorry you've been put in a tough situation. However, you're a smart lad. You should have done a better job with what you've been given. I am the same as that restaurant owner. I'm not upset. The restaurant owner isn't upset that the food isn't as good. The restaurant owner is upset that the food's inedible. That's how I... To bring this back to the rugby, I'm not upset that we lost the game. These things happen. I'm upset that we just didn't turn up. You know, it's a bit worrying for the captain, the club captain after the game to say, to question the effort of our players. That's not happened over the last two years. No, it's worrying for the head coach to sort of question cryptically the effort of some of the players in his comments. So to, to use my analogy, the restaurant owner isn't upset that things aren't as good. He's upset that the, the food was inedible. And that's how I feel about it. If you, you lose a game, you lose a game. These things happen. It's game of rugby. You know, it is what it is. But the performance and some of the manner of what we saw on Saturday, for me, was borderline unacceptable. And as I say, for the club captain to be questioning effort, I think that's worrying comments to be made about the situation. I think it's a fair fair analogy. It's made me hungry, but then it doesn't take a lot to do that. Um, if I'm having a look at this, like as a whole, and we're not going to go into detail about it because you know, fuck me, who wants who wants to go through it try by try and relive <laughs> the pain? But there's there's a lot which is quite frustrating about how we play at the moment. Firstly, we we spoke about the whole points with with Shazam about obviously who we who we're missing, and it's not just how many we're missing, but it's who we're missing and in what areas as well. And you're coming in, and it means we don't have any momentum to ride off. Part of that is perhaps due to us not playing so well during the season, as we've said, you know, even under Steve, but also because of the nature of the season uh, has been very stop-start. It's been hard to get up ahead of steam. Now, I'm looking uh, at the way particularly our forwards uh, and our defence is is operating at the moment. And even without some of the big carriers, there is about a 5% drop-off for me, even 10% in aggression and snap. We are not nasty if that makes sense the defense isn't flying up and i think i sent a point to you about you have two types of defense that you know if you if you get perfect them they can be they can both be really effective you've got your blitz defense where you rush up and you then you've got effectively a more passive drift now sometimes you people like to kind of alternate between the two even in the same defensive move you rush up 
then you'll drift, then you'll rush up. So at the moment, um, our defence has all the softness of a drift defence, but without any of the organisation, and all the chaos of a blitz defence, without any of the pressure. It feels like we're not quite sure which one of the two we want to do. We sort of float up. There's no snarl, there's no aggression. The ball carriers don't feel under a particular amount of pressure, and it means particularly teams like Newcastle have quality out wide, managed to find space on the outside each time. And that, for me, was a worry. Our forwards as well in the breakdown, it, the aggression, the nastiness, and the all I can say is just the sheer unpleasantness of playing us is not there at the moment. And that, for me, is is quite concerning. That's one of those more, I suppose, undefinable characteristics. When you're watching a game, and, I've, and unfortunately it does remind me of the pre-Borthwick era of when I felt this Leicester team is not, is too nice. It's a bit too soft. And that is particularly where we felt, and perhaps that's where Hanro went on. You know, look, Hanro himself will hold up his hands and say he didn't have a great game at times either. He worked bloody hard, but the, the missed tackle on Maroney at the end was a classic example of, you know, not being as aggressive and as nasty as we usually expect him to be. I actually thought he was one of our better players, in all fairness to him. So once those two pillars for us are not clicking, then it's very hard to pull the rest of the game back. And the attack, you know, well, particularly for the first half, what attack? Um, there's not even a desire really to look up and play what's in front of us. I understand that there was going to be a kicking game, but guys aren't, you know, JVP did this last week as well, and Lenny did the same this time. At the base of the rut, there's no, there's not, not even a look. I don't know if there's even a shout, but there were times when Newcastle were actually lining up and they were outnumbered on the blind side. And yes, it wasn't quick ball, but actually all it would take would be Lenny to dart left and and take out the fringe defender and we'd have an overlap. But we just, we don't even look. Um, Kick returns, again, a lot of the time it's hoof back. Again, one thing, I know that you didn't think Lenny had a great game, and in many ways he didn't, but I thought a fair play to him. He was one of the few guys who played with his head up on a kick return and would occasionally try and run it back and make space. So fair play to him for that. But there, there isn't a confidence at the moment. I know there's executing a game plan, but that always has to be the caveat to sort of keeping an eye out for opportunities. There doesn't seem to be the confidence to do that at the moment. No, I, I agree. I, I said... Last season, there was three. Our game could be sort of distilled almost into three areas of how to. Well, I think we'd analyse of whether we were on it or not, and that was the intensity, the accuracy, and the discipline. If you bring it back to not just Saturday, but the week before against Sale, I think we we're off in all three of those areas. You know, you've, you've mentioned it there. Our intensity in the forwards, Chetham's try in the second half is a classic example of actually he played with aggression. Yeah, and I will and say, so- Ches Ches had a, had a good game. Yeah, I thought, absolutely. Uh, um, him and um, him and Tommy Rafael, um, the first half in particular, were standouts. Yeah, and you look at, I completely agree. And then you look in the second half, Janssen Henderson came off the bench. We yeah. started carrying with a bit of intent. You know, Chesham's try, Janssen's try comes from carrying hard and carrying with a bit of intent and a bit of nastiness, like you've just said, into the guts of Newcastle. And you, you actually, you got over the gain line and not only got over the gain line, but took yourself to the try line. So I think our intensity was well off. I think our accuracy both weeks has been really poor. You know, kicks out on the full, bad passes, yeah. knock-ons. Um, yeah. The classic example is the try at the end of the, the first half. You know, yes, it should have been a penalty try. It should, it should, yeah, I mean, let, let, let's we'll caveat that one. F- we'll caveat F- that Foley one was shite again. Um, it was a weekend for free reign at the breakdown, I thought. Uh, and Foley, utter hypocrite in terms of how he looks at the, the rolling mall. Um, uh, Claire drops a ball needlessly over the line. That was extremely irritating. 
but it was due to a, a guy coming in from the side so um and, and collapsing it so you know it, as you say it's one of those things that, that goes against but let, let's go now and have a listen to uh, one of our listeners who got in touch uh and he wants to talk to us uh, it's ben whiteman wants to talk to us about leadership I think the leadership is the main issue at the moment, or the lack of it. So if you look back to the 2020-21 season, we had George Ford, who, even when everything was going wrong, was the big voice, and he was organising people on the field. He was making sure that the team were focused and doing their absolute best. Last year, we had Genge doing the same. You know, if anything happened, he just picked up the ball and ran hard the biggest man he could find and that in, that spurred everybody on now we've lost those two we've lost Kev we've lost Steve there doesn't seem to be that inspiration on the field now I'm not saying that Hanro's bad at what he does I'm just saying because we don't see what he does throughout the week but he was very quiet yesterday he looked terrified before the match kicked off you look at Alan Walters on the, uh, you know when the BT handed him the the microphone and he, he was he just dejected and it was desolate and that you know, that will filter through the squad. So I think what we really need now is a big voice and someone to step up. Yesterday when Henderson and Janssen came on, all of a sudden we had some go forward. Um, Nephi as well and Joe Hayes, they really picked up the tempo. Then Jimmy Gopperth, you know, he seemed to be taking control in the backs when he came on. But it was really noticeable that the only voice you could hear over the ref's mic was JVP's. That was it, Dan Kelly a bit as well, but it was a very quiet team on that pitch and a team that's not communicating and a team that's waiting for somebody to, to spark some magic. That's not a team that's going to do much at the moment and you know that's that's the big issue. So can Wiggy do that? Can we get a big leader on the pitch? Can we get some voices back and is someone going to take charge? Thanks very much, Ben. Really good point, one that I thought of at the time. I think it, it was particular at the time, I think, when we conceded, was it the third we conceded and then we gave away the intercept straight away? Um, but I could see when we when we conceded the third and we thought, oh, we might be getting back into this because we, we'd scored a try, really nice try actually as well, uh, got, got to say, uh, down the blind side, well played Lenny for that as well. Cal Green was highlighted for working hard to create an overlap as well. Uh, and, and again, great work by Ches and Scott in that. But let's have a um a chat about the leadership because the body language was bad at times it did look quiet maybe that's just the sound that we're getting from you know on the across on the tv but it felt like the intensity is in there and he is right in saying that george ford as a voice would demand intensity ellis Gange through his actions would demand intensity how do we recreate that is it a case of just sort of letting leaders develop um you know, kind of at their own pace, or do we have to try and force that through a bit quicker? And how do you do it? I think you've got to try and force it. I think you've lost a lot of big voices from from the side. If you look at something like Montoya as well, you know, Montoya is a big character and a big voice. Visa is now in a similar sort of bracket in terms of just his carrying. You know, you just giving the ball. Yeah. It's an inspirational. Montoya, especially, you listen to him for Argentina. How he's he, he does. He does both. That kind of he's kind of forty and Genji in one. You know, he goes like, "Follow me, look what I do." But he's also talking constantly and winding up the opposition, which is good. Visa, much more the silent assassin, and a nice get out of jail card as well. I, I cannot overstate the importance of those guys missing. Absolutely, they are inspiration. Visa gives you the inspirational carry. You know, like that you say that you want a five yard up the guts. Come and get them. That's Visa's your man for it. I think, all told, we are. I think the boys looked 
there's a feeling of they feel a bit sorry for themselves. I think with um, Steve and Kev going, I think there's a, a suspicion, in my opinion, that they feel a bit beaten up and they feel a bit sorry for themselves that they've gone. I think they've really got, across the board, to answer your question, I think we've got to force some leadership here. And I think a few boys have got to stand up and be counted. You spoke about the defence problems. To be honest, you can have whatever system you want. If boys don't make the front-up tackles, you can have, no matter what your yeah. system is, make your tackles. You know, if you're not running hard as a forward into the um, guts of the opposition, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, there is, you know, there are passive times for a passive carry. But you know what? A lot of our, ca- our carries the, the, are the very biggest passive. Ex- yeah, and a big example for me was there were about two or three occasions. One of them led to a huge line break as well, which actually I think um, Stewart got yellow carded for, which I thought was very harsh, considering he was turning to chase. So where else could he go? But it was again, you know, our old friend Carreras and the ball was bouncing around and about three Tigers boys were looking at it. I thought, I I was so surprised at that. I'd have thought all three, I'd rather have seen all three of them diving into it and knocking, you know, kind of like knocking the ball on or, or, or bumping into each other and getting in each other's way than all of them standing off, like waiting for something to happen. It was like, Newcastle were quicker on the ball. They wanted it more. You know, imagine Moody, like if the ball goes on the floor, basically he'd be risking his own teeth to, to go and dive on the ball and get it every single time. And that would that was exactly what we had last season. And if that didn't quite feel the same, we felt a second or two off the pace. I um, think the leadership and the intensity, I think, are linked in. And confidence, and confidence as well. I, I think th- all three of them um, are linked in. Yeah, I completely agree. We've spoken about the intensity is not there. And I think that's driven from confidence and leadership. I think as hard as it is, I think there is a feeling that we just, I think as a squad, we need more big boys of our big like characters to come to the fore. And I almost think we need a sort of bit of a rallying call internally of just like, forget about what's gone on. Just, just get in amongst it and get aggressive. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you lose, but go down. If you're going to lose, lose down taking bodies with you. You know, just like second half, we sent them out, I think, uh, clearly throwing some cups of tea around in the, the dressing room. I know you, he said last week he's not a shouter and a screamer. I think that that policy got revised at <laughs> half time. Out the window, yeah. Yeah, I think that policy went. So, And I think that's a good thing. You know, actually, that's second half, at first five minutes, where Ches gets the ball and actually runs with a hard aggression and hard oh, he, you, anger. That try was quality. Uh, we're going to also promote the nickname of the Ginger Godzilla as well, I think, after that, because he... He, he carried hard all game, to be fair to him, but he looked particularly fired up coming out and he got underneath Orlando, who is a bloody good tackler, and took him and Gary Graham, who is a big boy, over the line with him. Fucking phenomenal power. There is a guy who I think does have the ability to step up as a leader. He just needs to be fed that confidence almost and, and be given that licence, I, I feel, by... Maybe he is, and maybe he's got to find it, the confidence within himself as well to be able to step up and say, right, I'm going to lead this team now. If the shit's hit the fan, that's when I step up. We said three or four weeks ago that one of the things we'd like to see is a sort of siege mentality of people are out to get us. Hanro said in the summer that he thinks the squad's at its best when that sort of attitude is prevalent. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen that sort of backs against the wall siege mentality. And I think, to be fair, now is probably the week to try and find it. You know, we've had a bit of a, a tough two weeks. People are starting to question us now. People are starting to go, not just externally, but internally. There's questions being asked. This actually might be a night. As weird as it sounds, it could be the sort of 
the match to light the fuse of just get some anger and some aggression out of it. Because I think- yeah, because there's no, there's actually no negative pressure. We'll come to it on the game against Clermont because we don't have to win it. We can probably, we might even rest a few people, but there'll be opportunities for guys there to go ahead and try and uh, try and make a point. And it'll be interesting to see the selection. Now, actually, speaking of selection, um, you know, I, we don't know entirely about everyone who's fit and who isn't fit. So it's quite hard to make a complete call on it. But th- there are a couple of things I was surprised at with our the selection, in particular the one on the wing. Now, Harry Simmons, you know, great, great guy, works hard, but he, he's not a game-breaker, particularly, certainly not in that position, and certainly not with the, the amount of space we gave him, i.e. none. We are missing game-breakers, not just in the backs, but in the forwards. Obviously, Namani's gone um, in the backs as well. Guy Porter, one of our best carriers in the backs. I, I read something crazy that I think out of everyone who's carried... 100 times in the Premiership. I think there's only two guys who beat more defenders per carry than he does. It's something like he beats um, 0.4 defenders a carry, which is absolutely remarkable. And we we, we were lacking, if you understand what I say, that game-breaking, someone who can bow over people. So I'm talking about Salmaki and Kinney specifically. Within those two. I don't know if both of them are fit. They've, they've sort of appeared in videos. I know that doesn't necessarily mean that they're match fit. But those are guys that, yeah, they're all, yeah, they're sometimes a bit of a liability in defence. But fuck me, let's be positive here and let's go and put these guys out and say, right, handle that. Because we've seen Kinney and Hosea do magical stuff when they had absolutely no right to do it. And it would just give the defence, something, the opposition, something to think about. Instead of, oh, we've just got to chase some kicks and then we'll neutralise them. I think if you look at last season, the games, the few, the few games in which we lost, but if you, the particular away at Wasps where we, uh, where we lost. What was memorable in a negative situation was how passive we were without Nadolo and a couple of other big ball carriers in terms of getting over the gain line. And if you look at the games that we've lost over the last sort of, 12 months from that game onwards, a lot of it comes from without those line breakers, you know, the, the point of difference between us and the opposition, what you have is a matching up situation that we struck because our attack isn't as is very much basic at best. We don't really have a way out. You know, we haven't got a, all right, we've been neutralised at front, we'll go wide and we'll try and do something there. We have effectively got one avenue. When one avenue is taken away from us, we don't really have anywhere else to go. And I think that's the situation which we find ourselves in is that actually, like like we've said, we are missing huge ball carriers that get us over the line. That's our point of difference. Without them, we're matched up. And if you then go, well, we're not playing with the right intensity and right aggression. We're even more neutralised. And because we don't have a functioning attack that bails us out, we have really no nowhere else to go. And it, actually, if you're any opposition, all your work is going to be is stop the forward pack. Yeah, and it, it is, again, a caveat to it is it's hard to be able to build that sort of backline cohesion and effectiveness when there's been so many changes due to injury and, and, and you know, obviously coaching changes as well. Well, look, let's finish this rather than just be overly negative. Let's go and talk, try and finish on something more positive. Second half, we did win. We were a lot better. I'm not going to say we were necessarily the better team. Possibly, actually, I think on most of the measurements, we were the better team, actually. We had a lot more territory and probably could have come away with some more points. And we did get a losing bonus point, which, frankly, I'd have snapped your hand off for at half time as well. And who knows how important that point may be. Anyway, um, Jacob Basswood gets in touch and he says, Newcastle summary, don't panic. Here's his uh, voice note. Don't panic! Don't panic, Mr. Mannering! Um, Would be my 
summary of that game, I think, um, look, Newcastle were really, really good. Um, let's not beat about the bush here. Uh, they were just on it and we weren't. And that was really the kind of only difference. Um, I think in, in in terms of everything that's going on, it's 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 a twofold thing really. We've, we've got to be we've got to be realistic. We've got to we've got to take ownership and be like right, okay, we are we are we have been deprived of our head coach and defence coach midway through season. Um, you know, we, we lost Ford and Genge, um, so we have to be realistic of that. But we can't just sort of sit on that and you know moan about it. We've got to. We've, we've, we've got to work with what we've got and we've got to we've got to work hard and you know results and table finish really this season are kind of irrespective as as as, as long as we're as long as we're fighting for it and as long as you know we're, we're putting in the effort all the time um you know obviously I, I i don't doubt the boys for a sec but i mean even hanro said post-match that he questioned the effort which is something that you know was was a no-no during borthwick's time so i think for the rest of the season, we've just got to be like, right, lads, um, don't care what happens, don't care what the results are, we fight for each other um, because um, we're in the shit because of things of our own making, things that are of our own making. Um, let's just control. We only can control. And, you know, um, just, 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 you know, what will be will be basically. But that's kind of my, my summary of, of, of the game there for you guys. Yeah, thanks, Jacob. Um, I, I think yeah, he he has a point in that, which is what kind of what we've been talking about. About there's no reason necessarily to panic, as long as the effort's there. But obviously, if the effort isn't there, then I think we have to start asking some questions. But this is the first time I think I, we can point out question marks about the effort. And Hanro's done that, so I don't feel bad about saying it. I thought Sale obviously was a unique set of circumstances, and the boys fought to the end on that. And you know, there's nothing nothing bad to say about it in that regard so I think we need to see a little bit of a wake up and if I'm going to talk about some of the positives though from the second half and this is going to sound bizarre but games are never as good as you think the ones you win are never as great as you think and the ones you lose are never as bad as you think I had a look back through this game and we were talking tiny margins about making this a very very close game and you might be thinking what we just got absolutely spanked by 20 points what are you on about this, indiscipline first, in pointless indiscipline. I don't really mind if someone's going for a turnover and, you know, Foley denied us a couple which were quite harsh and we can see the penalty from that. James Cronin, love him. He's had a great start to his time as a Tiger. He had his by far his worst game in the Leicester shirt and it was almost entirely due to needless indiscipline. I, I heard some people say Foley was inconsistent in how he was applying it. I don't care. He, he, he warned us, stop screaming at the ref and we got a penalty turned over, gave away field position, they score. Then all of a sudden, again, we we were in a kicking battle. Nothing was really happening. He gives away field position. They score. And that is two tries directly from completely pointless indiscipline that we didn't need to give. Then there is obviously an intercept, which Kelly would... I've never seen Kelly sort of throw something like that. It wasn't on. Um, it felt like we'd go through the motions, the call would come, and this is the ball that we're going to give no matter what. Really well read by Carreras, though, in fairness. Um, so that is that's a third one again, tiny margin, and then Charlie Clare scoring at the end, or you know Tom Foley being competent and giving a penalty try and putting them down to thirteen. That again would have changed the complexion of the game quite significantly. So you've got a four-score swing, effectively, off these very very small margins, and you know potentially that has knock-on effects on confidence and momentum. So we must remember that yes, whilst particularly the first half 
wasn't an acceptable performance. I think the second half was much better and credit to everyone for like pulling back in that. And that I think should be an encouraging sign. Seeing some fights, seeing some leadership there about fighting back. I think the, the Moroni try was really disappointing if we tell that in isolation, but bringing the, the side back into it to win that second half and to get a losing bonus point to keep fighting at the end uh, is a positive. And we must remember that these are, there are, these are small fixes that often need to be made that can have huge, huge effects on performance. And that's what I hope that the team focus on is making the small changes, making sure their effort is up there all the time, but not thinking, oh God, we need to rip up the playbook and completely start again. Because if you think things are bad now, it will be a lot worse if you try doing that halfway through a season. Can I add some more positives? Go. So if you take away, this is a bit fancy stuff, but if you take away the intercept and the penalty try gets given or Charlie Clare scores a try, the gap is suddenly five points. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but actually in a space of 10 minutes, you've actually got yourself back in the game and you've got something that you're working with rather than an astronomical yeah. lead. We're two points off the playoff still. Yeah, it's, it's, is, it's insane. Everyone is beating everyone. Which is absolutely mental. And actually, we're doing all of this without um, our key players. You know, we haven't, we've gone a half a season without our marquee. You know, no, no other clubs have that. I know that you can question the club recruitment of Pollard, but actually, it is what it is. We've gone half a season without our marquee. We're probably unique in the league in that situation. We've lost two world-class players. We've lost two world-class coaches. You know, things are tough, but we're still two points off the playoffs. The second half, I think, is a is a massive um, positive. Like you say, to come out like that and to um, really put a marker down in the second half. And we actually showed what we were about. And we showed a bit more improvement in what we were doing in our carrying and our attack. Again, that's something to, to work with. So I think things are tough. And I, this isn't great, but at the same point, we now go into obviously Europe this next couple of weeks and we'll get into that. But when we come back from that, we've got eight games left in the league, six of which are at home. You know, let's get behind the boys if, as much as we can. And actually yeah. the home form, the t- if you look at the t- league table, it's 10 points between third and 11th. Our home form is what gets us. You know, we've played 12 games, but only four at home. That's how ridiculous this season is. The home thing is, I know it's a cliche and I know we've been banging on about it, but these run of six home games has got to be what takes us as close to the line here and gets us over it. So, look, I think there's still a lot of rugby to be played this season. We're still in amongst it still. And it's not just us that has problems. If you look at, you know, Quinns, they've had, yeah. I think, three bad row, bad results in a row. They got turned over away at um, Saints badly. Saints then go down to Exeter and get turned over badly. Who Exeter the week before got went over to Saracens and got turned uh, over. And, 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 and Gloss and get absolutely shafted as well. At the same time, so it's like you say, it is incredibly congested between a lot of good sides, but all of them are really struggling for consistency. So, look, you know, I think that it, is top two gone. Probably, I think Sale will probably need a, a real slip up, and we need to win every game after this, um, which doesn't look entirely likely. Um, is top four still there? Um, yeah, I, th- I think top four is very much still there. And I think that is something that we should be really positive about. And in fact, that is still in our, I go as far as to say that is in our hands. Um, yes. The top top four spot, uh, given who we've got to play. Um, quick shout out as well to, I thought the second half substitutes, nearly all, nearly all of them had a really positive impact. Uh, JVP was great um, when, when he came on. Um, Jimmy Gopeth, you know, look, he, he gets, um, he got a bit of stick, but he came on 
God knows what position he was playing. He seems to be on the wing half the time, but hell of a finish for his try. A lot of um, good talking as well from him. And I think we talk about leadership. That's something that he seemed to bring straight away, which is really positive to see. Then um, in the forwards, uh, I thought uh, Nephi uh, and Hazy were, were excellent off the bench. And in particular, Cam Henderson and, and Janssen, real aggression, carried really well. Um, you know, it's, it's it, that, that was a real positive to see the impact from the bench, which we've not always had. It seems to be we flipped from last season where we start start the game like a freight train and then sort of like sort of cling on a little bit in the second half. It seems to be completely the opposite this year. No, I think, like you say, the bench boys um, added something to, to the game. And I think, again, it's those small positives to take from this to go into next week. And as hard as it sounds, you just got to stick with it, you know. And I think it is like it is tough. It is it's hard, and but it doesn't need us to to ram it home to the boys. You know, they'll know they'll understand as well that this wasn't good enough. And I'm sure this the right the right act would have been read to them. Uh, and actually, in a way, it probably suits us a little bit because actually expectation across the board has been um, has been took off us. So actually, we can almost play with a little bit of freedom, hopefully. Three word reviews. Elliot, let's close the door on this shit show. It's done. We're going to shut it. Lock it away. I forget it ever happened. Uh, Well, after this, give me a three word review. What have you got, Elliot? First one for me, Chris DT11, positive Tommy turnover. Yeah, Mm. I think we need to find um, positives where we can. um, And Tommy was certainly one of them. In the first half of a sea of excrement, he was a little island of of pure gold. Um, he was absolutely fantastic in, in that first half. Kept us sort of remotely in it in that first sort of 20, 25 minutes before <laughs> they started raining a few tries down. But um, the turnovers he was getting, it's unbelievable. He was so quick over the ball. He's so valuable. But because that is his MO, he's not a carrier. You have to be able to have sort of big carrying uh, forwards around him. And obviously that's where we said we, we are lacking, but cracking display by Tommy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sort of hoping that Gatlin sort of goes back to his old favourites for the Six Nations, <laughs> just that we have Tommy for, you know, for the six, seven weeks. It'd be, it's going to be gutting if um, if he does go. But Well, yeah. it, it, it's tough. He's he's blatantly going to get the can for that New Zealand loss, despite the fact Tipperick also made some defensive howlers. Um, you know, they seem to be quite happy to go after Tommy after that. And I, I reckon the way Gats likes to play, he, it will be either Rafael or Tipperick. Um, and you know you're not going to get in ahead of of Tipperick, uh because he's you know well the cap he sometimes captains the side obviously so uh, fingers no, I don't want to be mean to Tommy fingers crossed he gets selected gets man of the match a couple of times then is inexplicably dropped so he can't forget the best of both worlds yeah yeah settle for that um, I'm going to shout out to Scud and the Stig uh, who gets to say not enough dog bang on absolutely right particularly in that first half there was. You know, not enough nasty dog. Maybe there was dog, but it was like a, you know, it was a golden retriever. And frankly, it was a dog on its back having its tummy tickled. Yeah, it absolutely was. Like that, well, you know, the one that kind of just slaps its head between its legs and looks up at you saying, please, can I have a scrap of food? Not what I want is a dog sort of the size of a Rottweiler, but they're very sweet dogs, but with the attitude of a Chihuahua. Um, my wife is a vet nurse and she assures me that Chihuahuas and pugs by far the nastiest dogs that they get in are the ones that are most likely to give you bites 
uh, whilst the big sort of scary ones, so to speak, German Shepherds, the uh, the Rottweilers are all, all actually big softies. So what we want is the attitude of a Chihuahua and the uh, and the size and uh, ability of a Rotty. I think that that that's a nice combination. That that works for me. Basically, every scrum half. Yeah, well, no, we, yeah, not literally. I mean, the size of a Rottweiler, which which <laughs> most scrum halves are. But yeah, no, I thought that was a really good analogy. Not enough dog, exactly right. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree with that one. Uh, Andrew Cole, put keep the faith. I'm going to go with two positives. After all, the I think the results negative enough. I'm going to try and find an oasis of calm and positivity for my two. Andrew Cole just put keep the faith. Yeah, totally. Six, as we said, six home games left. Uh, the only way is up. Um, it's still in our control. We did a bit of analysis looking at league table over the last few years. Third and fourth place, um, historically involves a six between a fifty and sixty percent win weight. So it's only eleven, twelve victories. It's not a million miles off. I think um, I think it'll be lower this year as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's still in our control. You look around the other teams; they've got a similar sort of points total to us. They have similar issues to us. So yeah, let's. Um, and we're and we're doing it with some a lot of injuries. You know, so, yeah, the boys have shown us um, over the last two or three years that we need to get behind them. Obviously, this Saturday was just gone was um, was tough. It's hard, but you know they've done it for us before. Let's yeah, keep uh, it going. Exactly, and I think they've done enough to earn our trust and our faith uh, and our backing for the next six months. I think we owe it to them to get behind them. So. Um, absolutely agree with that and I'm going to say uh, Thomas Simpson sa- uh, says Tigers lack discipline uh, that was supposed to be Arnie from Kindergarten Cop it wasn't very good but uh, I thought it was Hanro it sounded like Hanro it, it did, did, didn't it actually yeah either way that's exactly right um, discipline has been actually really good this season um, one, one of the real con- constant positives actually uh, unfortunately it's slipped and it's not just uh, you know, understandable penalties, penalties under pressure or penalties when you're trying to force a turnover. They're stupid penalties. We need to cut those out and we'll make our own lives a hell of a lot easier. And now, the main event. Well, I'm not going to carry on with that. Um, we have the Homegrown Heroes 15 against the Imports. Um, we already mentioned in the intro what a fucking exhausting time it was. I mean, to sort of send it off to everyone and say, or tweet back to everyone and say, look, it's pro era only. It's um, be every person. If you're angry that someone wasn't in, it's because it was voted for by listeners. If you didn't vote at the time, you can't get upset about it. And yeah, we got accused of denying history and all sorts of shit. So, anyway, that aside, it was two incredible sides, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the fact we had to issue a disclaimer every five minutes isn't suboptimal, um, to be fair. And it was quite like I think when the tweets you put out from the account, it's quite clear who listens to the podcast and who doesn't, because those who listen to it will know exactly what the uh, the rules and regs were. Oh, it's impressively, my old man got in touch and said, Oh, what, why is it Rory in it? I was like, For fuck's sake, dad. <laughs> what, what support I get from him? Brilliant. Oh, absolutely. Um, However, it was a it was when you actually take away the the, the daft comments and who is such and such and where you denying history. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You take all that sort of nonsense around. I found it really enjoyable and really entertaining to read some of the comments in yeah. terms of tr- of people trying to weigh up like we did last week who would win. And I enjoyed looking at people's um, people reasons. showed their working, didn't they? Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed that. I rated that too. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. 
as we mentioned, uh, two really strong teams. Our homegrown heroes up against our imports, um, 15. Um, 600, nigh on 600 votes um, on it. So one of our um, bigger um, votes, which is great because it probably shows um, how important it is to, and how much interest it got. Um, the homegrown heroes, um, actually quite a comfortable victory, um, to be fair. 67% um, voted with them. Wow. 33% going for the imports. I think um, there's probably a little bit of... <laughs> I don't know what you would dis- describe it as sort of sentimentality about, you know, these, these guys, you know, there, there are lads, a lot of them have come through the Academy. So you want to back them. Uh, I have to admit, I flipped and flopped and I think I did end up like going for the imports, even though I think I said openly, I thought that the homegrown would sneak it. They struck me as being a 70% territory and possession side, but the imports would just sort of explode every time they got the ball. Um, I've changed my mind again. I don't think it would be the homegrowns. Either way, I thought it was going to be super close, but a lot of people seem to have that thinking that it would be a, a, the arm wrestle would be won by the home lot and the imports would uh, be more effective on the break. Yeah, I think I said the you'd get the win from the homegrowns, the imports would play the better rugby. Um, but I think, it's, as, I said, as I said last week, fascinating. Um, it would be a great game if, we could, if it's obviously not possible to do. But what a game to have Yet. been able to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Somebody um, got in touch and said, oh, you could simulate it on um, Rugby Challenge or one of the games that they've got on the PlayStation 4. Uh, you know, you have to sort of get a fan to kind of do all the stats and create all the players and stuff. And I said, well volunteered. Um, so if you're listening, if you've got lots of time on your hands and you've got a PlayStation 4 and you've got Rugby Challenge uh, and you want to set up the game between the imports of the homegrown heroes, genuinely, Get in touch. Let us know you're going to do it. Uh, we'll see if we can stream a copy of the of the game so we can see what happens. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Martin Johnson throw you know, 30 meter offloads like you get in that game. It's ridiculous, um, very silly game, but it should be um, should be good fun. I always thought Dino coached that out of him. Jono was there on the training fa- training ground, lobbing his offloads out left, right, and centre. And Dino was like, "No, lad." No. Uh, that, that try that got shared um, a little while ago of us scoring an absolute score, uh, stormer against Sale um, in like the mid 90s. That's got, you know, Martin Johnson running an out, uh, you know, an outside support line, then lovely little pop back inside to, you know, um, Steve Hackney uh, to go all the way for the try. So, you know, he had it in his locker, good old Jono. Just just didn't like shot. I, I think he scored a try against Quinns where he went through the middle and then actually rounded the fullback. And I'm not joking. And that was in his later years. I remember that from there's a YouTube video of that, and he's almost pissing himself laughing. Laughing at the end. It must have been the fullback that got rounded like that, and you see Jono laughing afterwards. I said, we'll have to see if we can find that video and share it again, because it's an absolute beaut. Um, anyway, that takes us on to now. We're going to start to put together the ultimate team, uh, and that is going to be, effectively, because Pitt, what, uh, each player against their counterpart, import versus homegrowns, pulled together the ultimate professional era Tigers side. Yes. I'm actually excited for it. Um, and the first one is Graham Roundtree versus Marcus Yertze. Now, we before we press record, we sort of said who we um, think it's going to be. And we were actually in alignment um, on this one. I went with Yertze. You went with Yertze. Yes. Um, I think I think because Roundtree is, you know, like he was, you know, the founding member of the ABC club. And anyone who kind of gets to, into that bracket with him as being worthy of mention alongside him. It's not just a subordinate to him. You need to take into proper consideration. I, I so frankly, is the best scrummager I've ever seen. 
I would say at this club, one of the best scrimmages I've ever seen, ever. Uh, and his longevity, his commitment to the club as well, uh, his, his skill set, he has soft hands, um, for me, makes him an utterly iconic and wonderful uh, loose head choice. That said, Wiggy is, of course, a legend, uh, and I would not be upset to see him get selected as well. But for me, Marcus shades it. Yeah, I mean, Wiggy's trophy cabinet puts him right up there, as it rightly should. Uh, superb servants. And, you know, these are two legends. These are proper legends. This is real tough choice. For me, Yurtzer gets, I think, he is one of the best Tigers players of all time. Uh, so, yeah, he'd get he'd be getting my um, vote and he didn't have a bad trophy cabinet either. So, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll stick that up on the um, um, on Twitter for everyone to have a uh, to have a look at. People may agree with us, may disagree with us. That's that's the whole point. It's to try and get a feel for what everyone wants. So we'll stick it up there for the vote and uh, happy voting. Exciting times. After a couple of weeks, it gets nice and easy now as we head off to French Giants Clermont to play in the Stade Michelin in the European Cup, the latest in the round of convoluted nonsense that they've put together. Apparently, uh, I didn't watch it, but the head of European rugby went on to uh, rugby tonight to try and justify it um, and was apparently talking a load of garbage. I, I maintain this format, this group setting is absolutely ridiculous to the point where, as you'll find out, we think there is no need to send over the big boys for this, or if guys need resting, if there are any doubts about people, they can be rested. Um, that shouldn't be the case for you. We shouldn't actually be countenancing that. No, it should be every game has meaning and every game counts for something, um, certainly at this sort of stage. So, yeah, it's not great that we can have this discussion. Um, but hey-ho, this is where we are. So that's a discussion for another day. We We both know what our feelings on this We've both said it before. So it's all about um, what Tiger's going to do about it. And I think the feeling is, if you read between the lines from Wiggy's comments, both today and at the weekend, is that clearly there's a few injuries in camp. We know that there's, um, obviously, before Saturday, we knew there was a few injuries. Clearly, since Saturday, there's been a few more. How serious they are and to what extent, obviously, we don't know. We don't know if Wiggy's going to be in mind games as well. but. Clearly, there is an element of um, a long list of injuries in camp. So it'll be interesting to see what team is selected. I think it'll be a combination of, in some areas, maybe who's left standing. And in some areas, there's an opportunity for us to rotate and make some changes and bring bring some fresh legs, fresh faces, and change things around a bit, which is really a good opportunity for boys. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, actually. And, you know, Clermont, I think, are a better side than last year, but we look at their recent form, it's pretty scratchy. Their fans are getting a little bit restless. They're 10th in the top 14 since we played them in December. They uh, lost away at Breve, who I believe are second from bottom in the top 14. Uh, then I think their next game was at home against Toulouse. Obviously, that's a tricky one on New Year's Day. They were absolutely hosed 32-13 at home there. And then they went away to... Um, uh, sorry, then they hosted Perpignan, who are bottom of the league. And they... They they won thirty points to twenty or thirty one points to twenty or something like that. So an okay win, but nothing that's going to make I think their fans feel entirely comfortable. Now let's just sort of rewind a bit. Despite all the injuries, despite everything that's changed, we are still a good side. 
we go through a bad run of form and it, therefore it becomes an intimidating place to play. But if you look at who we're playing, we're not playing a team, come on, or not a team like, for example, Racing or Montpellier or Toulouse or La Rochelle or anyone like that who can frankly rip you rip you apart or are ripping teams apart on a regular basis. I'm sure Clement could very well shove those words down my throat, but they themselves are struggling for them. That means we can go in and put some doubt in their mind. So no matter who selected for this, there is an opportunity and it doesn't have to be filled with negativity, I don't think. No, totally. I think there's an opportunity here for whoever is selected to actually right some wrongs. You know, the team talk almost picks itself, If especially if, you know, we were trying to make up with down to the bare bones. I'm, if that is the case, again, the team talk writes itself because it's backs against the wall. You know, you go down and you just go out with a pure aggression, a pure anger and take bodies with you. You know, no one expects, mm. if, if we are down to the bare bones thing, no one's expecting anything. The expectation's off, the pressure's off. It's an opportunity to actually go through, almost go return right back to basics of what what's Leicester's DNA all about? What is this group's ethos all about? And it's aggression, nastiness, working hard and fighting for each other. And it doesn't matter yeah. who's selected in that. Everyone should be able to carry that onto the pitch and take it out on the opposition for 80 minutes. And I think, you know, if you're the team, whoever's given a team talk, just fucking get into them. Enjoy, enjoy it. You're playing at the great stadium. Get into it, enjoy it, and take some bodies with you. Christ, I want to get out there now, mate. You fired me up. It's, it's good. Valhalla, let's go. Right. Um, selection wise, what are you doing with it? Because uh, I, I hear what Wiggy says, and I. I accept that we might have to put in a couple of guys who aren't first-team regulars or even, I think you mentioned, a couple of Prem Cup guys. I'm happy for that to happen. I don't want to see us send the kids. I don't want to see us send the under-20s or the, the Prem Cup side out. I don't think that does anyone any favours whatsoever. Um, and I think that that does disrespect the tournament a bit. Now, obviously, there are certain guys that need resting. I think you and I are in agreement. I think Hanro looks tired. He's played a lot of rugby. I think he deserves a week off. Um, so let's give him let's give him that. Um, but actually, I'd be looking then to rotate and give minutes where we can. Now, I don't know if Jimmy Whitcomb is is injured or not. Obviously, the, <laughs> Nephi is always the better bench option, so that's why I wondered if James Croden was fit. Basically, uh, Jimmy uh, basically takes the takes a week off. But I have a front row of Whitcomb, Claire if he's fit, but he's also played a lot of rugby. Obviously, you can start Joe Taltafete. is obviously back. He didn't do great off the bench, I have to admit. And then I'll probably go Hazy. I think Hayes wants to put down a marker. I think he's looked good last couple of games off the bench. Yeah, definitely. If you follow the logic of um, Europe last year with what we did, we mixed it up. And I think Hazy started out in um, Connacht. I don't think Cole even travelled. So if you follow the logic, you'll see change those sorts of changes being made. Uh, Will Hurd on the bench, again, is another one that wants to yep. put his hand up. He's already shown um, already in, in this tournament that he wants to have a bit more of reaction. So, yeah, I'm looking at those sort of names we've sort of mentioned in the second row. We'd be happy at sort of a Chesham and Henderson um, Ooh, combination, yeah. we think. Henderson's good form last H- week. Henderson definitely, uh, perhaps even Snayman needs some game time unless he's he's injured. But I'd be very happy to see Chesham and uh, Henderson, or dare I say it, the Chenderson brothers. The Chenderson, Chenderson, the Chesson brothers, I beg your pardon. With top-level Chesson chat. Um, another name I threw forward is Tom Manns. You know, he's 19 stone. You know, he's 20 years old. He's 19 stone. He's not going to be... He's not small. Let's put it that way. No. At 19 stone, you should be able to be physically um, up for, for the battle there. So, again, there's an opportunity there. 
I think in the back row, both of us have sort of said Janssen, Ilioni are sort of names we think um, should be rewarded for their um, good work. And again, with Ilioni, we think there's an opportunity there for him. To, if, you're, if you are resting Hanro, Ilioni, I think, looks physically ready. We think there's an opportunity there for him to get some minutes. And he can be a leader as well. Remember, he's an under-20s captain. He's very vocal. He brings a lot of energy. You know, I want to see him try and bring that to the seniors and actually, you know, start bossing about some of the older boys as well. I think if we're going to have that back row, I would like to see a more seasoned pro in the back row with them. We'll see if Hanro's not there and depending on injury, I don't know if Crackers is, you know, past his HIA and can come back. Uh, I understand George Martin is quite close to coming back. So if George can come back, that would be a great shout. Bizarre to think of George as a senior player when I think he's barely 21. Uh, you could, is, you could almost move... Um... Chesham back to keep it Chesham in six or Henderson in six if you needed to. Yeah, um, for Ches at six, and then you could have Henderson as Snayman or something, couldn't you? I suppose. Yeah, I think yeah. that'd be um, an opportunity there. In the backs, you've got the likes of Walton Home. You know, here's an opportunity. I think he'll be involved something. in the squad. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'd still keep JVP. JVP, I think uh, there. Be interesting to see if Pollard plays. I would Obviously play him. Play. I see. I would as well, particularly if you've got a young side. I'd also take Gopeth with me in the squad. Uh, again, as a senior voice, whether or not you actually have him in the matchday squad, but almost have him there as a senior voice to try and bring a bit of structure. And then you've got uh, Kelly, for me, still needs minutes. He's still getting up to speed, I think. You know, he's only recently come back, let's remember. Uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a Singer get a run outside him. He's picks of him training. He's clearly fully training. He's fit and um, might bring something different. I would still prefer a Kelly and Scott partnership. Um but again, I wouldn't have any issues if Cockney Seager is, is is picked. But that'd be my preference was for Kelly and Scott. I think Kelly is a defensive leader, as is Scott. And I think if the accusation was lack of voices, I think you want to get as many voices onto the pitch as, as, as possible. I think those two would deliver it. Out wide, we think there might be an injury to Simmons. We think there might be an injury to Potter. Uh, reading sort of between the lines of the video. So again, it comes back to the conversation we said earlier. Lights of Ashton on one wing and maybe a Kinney slash Salmaki. No, I want both. I want Kinney, Salmaki on the wings and uh, Stewart at fullback. Um, so you've got solid and then just batshit crazy on both. Fair. That is that is a bit excessive. But maybe, yeah, like you say, Ashton on one wing perhaps. And then, uh, uh, and then obviously, I think Kinney for me. I love Kinney. I love that guy, man. I at least have him in the squad. Uh, or, or I mean, Jose is great as well. But I think we need to see that. We need a game breaker on one wing. Um, it's difficult because you want guys who need the minutes to guys who perhaps are renowned for being a little bit fragile. Like if Anthony Watson could play, but he's coming back from injury, rest him. I think this is it. I think if you've got to look at the context of the competition, I know we don't particularly like it, but we've got two wins. We're two from two. That In theory, that should be enough to get us through. With what we've got, one, three wins, if you follow last year's logic, should get you a home um, game in the next round. We've already got two wins. Ospreys at home. It's a home game, irrespective of, of, of Ospreys. We know Ospreys are a good team. They've gone out to France and, and done a job there. Their pack uh, did a job on Leinster at scrum time. There's a great video doing the rounds of um, marmalising the Leinster scrum. But Nicky um, Smith has all of a sudden become the most destructive, scrummaging loose head in the, in the Northern Hemisphere. Where's that come from? It is someone's child. Mike, someone's child got absolutely rumbled. Um, that was that was pretty a painful scrum. But look, irrespective of Ospreys, right? Look, they're a tough side. This isn't a, a gimme. 
when we play Ospreys, but at the same point, if there's an opportunity to, to make some changes, this is the game to do so without consequence. This is consequence-free game almost. And I think we should take that opportunity and use that to our advantage. I, I get what you're saying. I, I wouldn't go as far as say it's consequence-free. I think randomly there's quite a big financial pressure on us to perhaps, you know, come come away with something. It doesn't have to be a win. It can be a losing bonus point or a, or a try bonus point or something like that. But I think we need to come away with something because I think the pressure is probably on the club to try and get home semi-final, uh, home last 16, and then potentially even go into a home quarter-final as well. Those are two reasonably big paydays that the club can enjoy, I think. Um, Tactics-wise, the, the only thing I, I'd take, obviously I don't watch a lot of top 14, but from watching what I have done and from seeing how they've played against us, we, we know they're going to come rushing up a lot. They go full on for the blitz. So we need to be prepared to put little chips over the top, put in inside passes, and even be a little bit brave with the uh, the old, you know, perhaps crossfield kicks as well to get in behind them. Uh, so, you know, this is, you know, it's an opportunity for the guys to come in, like you say, and to, to focus on trying to defeat a defence, which can be quite intimidating, but leaves a lot of room uh, and opportunities for attack as well. I think this is, as a, for me, this is about returning to our roots of getting the show back on the road. And even if we don't win, I'm more interested in the performance than I am the result, if that makes sense. And I want to be seeing a lot of the stuff that we've been doing over the last two and a half years where aggression in our carrying is good kick chase. Um, you know, we're, we're kicking to compete. We're not just blindly booting the field, the ball away down the field. We're actually being smart with what, um, what we're doing I do want to see us have a bit more invention out wide I think if we did play Pollard we've seen his range of passing gives you in attack that gives you something yeah. to, to to work with and I just want to see Leicester just return back to what we're all about of just fighting for it and making life hard for the opposition you know just do all the stuff that we've become known for and it might be a bit basic but you know what just go back to what we're all about and actually put in a performance that without sounding like Steve, that we are proud of, that the boys yeah. can actually hang their hats on and do something about it because that gives us a chance. You know, the well, way we play. I, and I, th- I think part of that is empowering the players though. Like I said, the the the, the fact that we kicked, box kicked as an absolute regulation without even looking up and seeing the options for, you know, potentially a numbers overload on the blind side is for me something that I don't want to see really much more this season. I want to see players at least be able to have the confidence to have a look up before they go through uh, with what they're supposed to and feel empowered to have a go and have the fear to make mistakes, if that makes sense. I'm never going to get upset with players making mistakes but trying to create things, but, you know, unless it's something like really batshit stupid. But um, uh, that's what that's what I want to see. I think when we showed against Claremont at home, it's actually... There's a few errors that sort of undid our good work. You know, we actually um, played with a bit of intent. And I think if you had a halfback partnership of JVP and Pollard, I think that would give you a control element of what we're looking for. But I think it gives you players who have got the confidence and the ability to spot opportunities. And actually, if it's on, they'll go for it. Agree. Um, Where are you going to with the score? It's hard to say because we don't know what side we're going to put out. Yeah, I... I don't see Tigers winning. I do see Tigers actually putting a response back in. I think the last two weeks will have humbled and hurt people. Um, I think we'll get a losing bonus point. So we'll be with it'll be a loss, but with it within seven. Yeah, I'll say I'll say we we might go down, but it'll be by by six or so. Um, but it'll be 
as you say, kind of like a, a performance, hopefully, that can stand as a launch pad for the next two big games at home. Okay, well, that brings us about to the end of the show. Well, actually, no, it doesn't, because we forgot to mention some of the other news, and that is more good news. Uh, a healthy contingent of Tigers players selected in the under-20 squad, including to what, to my eyes, is basically the entire England under-22nd row contingent coming from Tigers. Seven out of 32 are from Tigers, which is a really impressive. I think it's testament to the boys involved and also to the coaches um, at Tigers, both in the academy and uh, senior academy levels that look after our players and you know make sure that we are well represented. I think that shows it's testament to the production line behind the scenes is is still flourishing and still doing well. So, no, well done to all involved. The seven are, I, I hear you cry, um, from the top, Finn Candruff, Josh Manns, Lewis Chesham, Rob Carmichael, who apparently, uh, Julian Haslam, one of our um, listeners, tweeted me, say six foot 11, under what? 20 years old, and he's six foot 11. Oh Unbelievable. Because Lewis Chesham is six foot nine. Imagine mini. being a hooker. Mini. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he really is stumpy next to uh, next to Rob Carmichael. There. No lifting required in the line-out. Amazing. Imagine being a hooker. All you do is just literally just lob it up in the air. Don't you have to do anything. As high as you can. Yeah. <laughs> Lean back. Imagine, for so hookers are under six foot, right? They're normally like five foot nine, five foot eight. You break your back trying to lean back to get it up in the air. You're going to have back problems. God. That, six foot 11 under 20. That's mental. Um, Continuing is Tim Hoyt and, and in, into the backs, Jacob Cusick and Joseph Woodward uh, make up uh, finish off the, uh, the seven. So some recognisable names there and good luck to all of them involved. I hope they get as much game time as possible. And uh, if nothing else, learn from the experience, enjoy the experience and come back um, a better player for, for doing so. No, got that bollocks. Bring, bring back the uh, trophy lads uh, or nothing else or don't come back at all, really. Yeah. No, I should. Yeah, I do. I do prefer your approach, actually, Elliot. No, fantastic. Well done, boys. Anyway, let's uh, wrap that up here. Thank you very much for listening to the Rolling Ball Pod this week. As always, leave us a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts if you can, and we'll catch up with you all next week. Mm-hmm.